I never got near that stuff in my life. I never did either. I was and you know, it, 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 it's funny. I, I, I found beer and I fell in love. And I couldn't smoke because it made me ill. And I, I'm sure that was part of the reason I never tried that stuff. But uh, <clears throat> it was sure around. It was very available. Even in the, even in the fifties, it was around. Was it? Yep. Wow. Certain certain people in the neighborhood they had that stuff. Uh huh. I used to avoid them like the plague. If I already found beer, got enough bad habits. You were a good boy. I tried. You did good. And it smells rank anyhow. I never smelled it. Well, they got something here. They call it skunk weed. Ooh. And it's supposed to be the cheapest kind of marijuana you can get. <laughs> Anything and named You walk within 20 feet of a person who's been to that, and you can smell skunk. Oh, gee. You know, anything, really that, anything that's named skunk weed has got to be cheap. Yeah. Oh, it's hard. It really smells skunky. <laughs> oh, yeah. I, I can see if, uh, smell a few skunks over here, too. <laughs> Did I tell you a couple of weeks ago, I think I did, that we saw a mountain lion? Yes, you did. Oh, what a beautiful critter. Oh, my gosh, beautiful animal. You just be careful. You know, when they when they come that close to people, they're hungry. Yeah, yeah, well. Don't, uh, don't throw them my chicken. <laughs> oh, no. Okay. I, I don't think they want to approach me. I'm too well armed. <laughs> And they, they say that they uh, they really avoid people as much as they can. Unless they're hungry. But this guy, he had to be 100 pounds, and he, oh, he was beautiful. And the tail was spectacular. Mm-hmm. And he just crossed the road right in front of us, maybe 50 feet away from us. Wow. I've been here over 15 years, probably going on 20. I had never seen one before. You can cross that one off your list. Yeah, yeah. I've seen, I've seen the bears. You know, we got deer in the yard every day. Okay. The so, mountain lion was really one that I needed to see. Wow. And fortunately, I've never run across a rattlesnake. Yes, we, we can keep that one off the to-do list. We do not yeah, They're horrible. Yeah. Uh, I was helping a neighbor uh, move some wood one day. Mm-hmm. And uh, we were moving these pieces of plywood that were laying flat on the ground, you know. Oh, dear. We got we got all of them moved, except one. When he went back the next day, he moved it. There was two rattles in there. Oh, my. So he, um, you know, he, he carries a hoe around with him everywhere he goes, and he, he chopped them up with a hoe. Oof. Oof. But he saved the, uh, he saved the rattles. And his plywood. I'm sorry? And his plywood. He saved his plywood. Yes, yes, yes. Yeah, he, um, he bought this property, and there was a lot of a lot of junk around. Some of it was, it was probably 10 sheets of plywood laying on the ground. I'm just so happy that I didn't pick that one up. <laughs> right. We're happy, too, because now you're still with us. Yeah, yeah. I, I guess it's 
it's survivable. It's supposed to be a real, uh, very painful. Yeah, very. Uh, and it can be painful. Uh, can be fatal. I'm sure. Yes, it can. That'll tear your skin up. Hey. Well, listen. I, I'm gonna. Uh, I'm not cutting it short. I'm gonna give somebody else a chance. Okay. And you will have Amos and Andy. And thank you for joining the Investors Club. Yeah, where do I send the money? Oh, no, you have to hold on to it until we get enough members, and then we'll we'll give out that information. We're just looking for commitments. Yep, we want to wait till we got enough people committed before we go make the transaction. Well, if you get 45 and you need 50, call me. I'll, uh, <laughs> I'll take it five. Oh, man. <laughs> we, that's terrific. We're out the closer. Yeah, we'd yeah. really like 50 people because then we can tell General Mills we've got 50 stockholders here and they're all ticked off. Yeah, yeah, go. <laughs> Great publicity. 50 sounds like a, a good number. Yeah. Okay, well, sir, you have a good day tomorrow, and uh, maybe we'll hear from you Monday. Yeah, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to try and, uh, and remember to call you. Okay, good okay, night. All right, well. To-do list. Bye-bye. Bye. Okay, we're rocking and rolling. 714-545-2071. We got good stuff. We sure do. And if Patricia has officially moved her clock. And my clock automatically moves on the computer. Uh-huh. So it's 123 right now. She, she's two done it. It hit 2 o'clock and it bounced back an hour. She's done it. Woohoo! But you see, I'm getting... I'm getting weary, and and it's only one thirty. <laughs> You're going to ring an extra hour out of me. Okay, what would you like? Some useless but fun information, or a baseball question, or a Stump Walden question, or a history question, or or a phone call? How about a phone call? Yeah. Hello there. You're on the air. Good evening, Walden. Good evening, Patricia. Oh, hi, Jim. How My are you? My gosh. Okay, let's get the question out of the way. <clears throat> what is Daisy's oh, dear. 12th puppy name? Oh, dear. Uh, Yukon King. Yukon King. All right. We'll put that on the list. Oh, dear. And, and, and he, and he, uh... And what did Yukon have for breakfast every day? Quaker puff wheat. Oh, okay. And Quaker puff rice. Delicious cereal. Shot from gun. Yes. And, 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 and now, what kind of bowl did he like? Did he like a big bowl of this stuff or a small bowl? I guess a medium-sized medium, bowl, I'd say. With or without sugar? It was, uh, well, I guess that was up to his master. Patricia, would you give sugar to your puppy dog? Jim, we're... Name Yukon King. Jim, we are doomed. <laughs> no, I wouldn't, I wouldn't give puppy sugar. Well, he, well I'm always amazed. He, he, he always seemed to always maul the gun or the weapon out of the criminal's hand. Yeah, and he, he, he needed that sugar, that instant I mean, energy food. And you know, he, I noticed when he mauled the gun, he never, he never lost any of his teeth or claws. He was healthy. Yeah, he was a healthy dog. Yeah. Uh-huh. Well, I wanted to mention a couple of things. In case you did not know, tonight was the National Radio Hall of Fame Awards. Oh, I did not know that. Who oh, sidebar, did, and we lost somebody this morning. Who was that? Oh, Andy Rooney? Andy Rooney passed away. Yeah. I thought it was really ironic here within the last two weeks he did a class broadcast. 
Yeah, he was a very talented man. My yeah. parents, that was their favorite part of 60 Minutes, yeah. was always listening to Andy Rooney. Yeah. So what happened in the Radio Hall of Fame? Who got inducted Well, it was, there, were, there were programs and inductees. First of all, Jim Bohannon announced it, and Larry King hosted it. Mm. Uh, it was at the Museum of Broadcast Communications in Chicago. Mm. It's going to be, which is going to be opening full-time, I think, next year. They finally found a building for it. You know, a new building. Right. Mm -hmm. The um, first of all, there were three personalities inducted in several programs. The personalities inducted were Ronald Reagan, Hooray! mainly because of his uh, sports began his sports casting and radio work he did. Mm -hmm. I guess his acting too, but the emphasis was on his sports casting and you know his ra his radio work. Patricia, you hear that? S word. S word. S. No. S word. Uh, I know. I'm. Uh, I'm just. Rolling over here tonight. <laughs> and Sam McNamee. Another sports announcer. Right, and, and he covered the Lindbergh flight, yep. and he hosted a show called Behind the Mic. He's he, Ed Wynn's announcer, side man. He's more famous for doing the first Rose Bowl football game, Patricia. S word. 1927, coast to coast. S word. S word. And the third person was H.V. Kaltenborn. Patricia, he did not do sports. No, he didn't. <laughs> the dean of the commentators. He was. Which reminds me of an old joke I heard years ago. You want to be? You want a bad joke? Sure. Can we vote on this? We're having bad, bad s words tonight. Why not a bad? <laughs> okay. There was this. Um, there was this. There was this. There was this family of sweet potatoes. <laughs> and the, and there was a mother and the father and there was a the little uh, the girl sweet potato. A little bud, huh? Right, and and the parent and the parents were one day. The, Her name is Buddy, huh? Yeah, one day they were sitting in the garden talking, and the little sweet potato said, "I want to marry Walter Cronkite." And the the mother and father said, "Well, why do you want to marry Walter Cronkite? He's a commentator." A commentator. Oh, that's good. <laughs> that's good. I really like puns. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, I know, I know, I know, Walden, Ira Fistel liked puns on KABC, I remember. I guess I'm just too slow. I couldn't figure that out until Patricia. A common potato. Yeah. Anyway, H.B. Keltenborn was inducted. And then the programs inducted were the WLS National Barn Dance. And who was the host of that show, Patricia? Joe Kelly. Oh, gee. Okay. Now everybody from Gene Autry to Pat Buttram to yep. the Hoosier Hot Shots to Rec, uh, 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 who was the, who, who was the one, uh, Rex Allen. Right. Uh, who was the, who was the one, who was the, who, who was the, uh, and I forgot his name. Who was the one that used to do the Loves commercials? Was it Rex Allen? I think so. Yeah, his son was one, his son presented the thing tonight mm -hmm. on the, on, for, for, uh, inducting the National ah, Barn Dance. Okay. But the National Barn Dance, one way one that everybody likes, the great Gilderslave was inducted. Hooray! Who was there for them? Oh, uh, Jerry Springer put it in. Jerry Springer used to be a fan of the Great Gilderslave as a child when he was here in the, when he was a young child. Jerry Springer. Isn't that amazing? I never would have picked him for something like that. <laughs> Never would have picked him for anything, as a matter of fact. But he was one. He was the presenter, and he said the greatest. And he, he talked about. He talked about how the great Gildersleeve. He joked about how the great Gildersleeve presented, you know, uh, families and 
and, and there was no, it was not a dysfunctional family. He says, I guess I ought to know something about that, meaning his career, of course. You know, the kind of people he has on his show and stuff. But the great Gildersleeve was inducted. Gangbusters. Gangbusters. Who presented that? Uh, Bill Curtis. Because uh, he, you know, he's written books on crime and he's done those crime, uh, those justice reports for A and E and okay. things. Bill Curtis did the presentation for Gangbusters. Okay, all right. He's good. And, I like him. Yeah, he has a great voice, doesn't he? Yes, he does. And suspense. Radio's outstanding theater frills, and it was presented by a woman mystery writer. Now. I can't remember her last name, but her first name was Sarah. You might know who she is, uh, Patricia. Her name is Sarah. She's written about a woman detective, not Sue Grafton or somebody like that, but a woman named Sarah somebody did the presentation for suspense. I don't know, Jim. Hmm. But it was uh, but it, it was put in. It was a nice ceremony. It lasted about two and a, an hour and a half. Oh, and Ronald Reagan was put not put in by, uh, let's see, Graham McNamee was put in by John Miller, the, the voice of the Giants, and he right. used to be the voice of the, of the uh, Oreos. Mm -hmm. Ronald Reagan was presented in by Orion Samuelson, who was WGN's agriculture director, and I guess he did a lot of radio work in the Midwest. And I forgot who did the present. Oh, and uh, let's see. H.B. Kaltenborn was put in by Susan Stanberg of NPR. Mm. So it was a nice ceremony tonight. Sure sounds like it. Yeah. yeah, well, I'm glad. And tonight, happily, it was all devoted to the Golden Age. Current broadcasting wasn't even covered, which was kind of nice. Well, considering they had Lori King, who, who, who knows a little bit about radio history there, so that, that's good. Yeah. I know in past, in another year, I know I think Fred Foy was inducted in. I I think it was 2000. Right. So Fred Foy is in there. William Conrad's in there. Uh, the uh, uh, Norman Corwin is certainly in there. Uh, Murrow's in there. The Breakfast Club is in there. Uh, uh, Bill Stern is in there. Um, I think uh, Arthur Godfrey's in there. So there's quite a few prominent radio people of the past in there, in addition to some current people in past years. So it's, uh, and apparently it's going to be a nice museum in Chicago, as I understand it. Chuck Shaden's in there, by the way, in the Radio Hall of Fame. Wow. He deserves to be there. Yeah, so it was a good, it was a good ceremony tonight. I just wanted to let you know that because you might have missed that. It may not be on the news tomorrow or anything, but, um, and we did get two radio stations and three stations in California actually did carry it tonight. Okay. In L.A., Walden, you would have heard it at 12.60 a.m., the station at 12.60. But I don't, I don't even get them down here. You don't? Yeah. Um, um, it'd be small power watt station during the day. It was interesting to hear your, your previous caller talking about getting those tapes to Fred Foy. That was interesting. Absolutely. Uh, I wonder if he was able to get him any of the news programs that Fred Foy did, Voices in the Headlines right. or any of those things. I don't remember. Yeah, that would be interesting to know that because that that's where I first heard of him before I ever started collecting or 
Well, I heard reruns of The Lone Ranger in 64, but I first heard Fred Foy in like 63 or 62 narrating voices in the headlines. Right. Which was an excellent review of the week's news. Well, let's see. Any question tonight for donating to the auction? Yep, we're down to one. I had down to one? I had four questions at the outset. Three of them have been knocked off. I've got one left, and I know it's one you can answer. I'll do my best. I know. I'm, Jim, I know you can answer it. Yes. What is your social security number? That is the question of the night. Mine? Jim, Jim, he's... He's just really wound up. He had too much sugar today. Do <laughs> you remember that commercial a few years ago for LifeLock or one yeah, of those? Uh, I know. One of those safety, th one of those internet things where the guy actually gave his social security number on the commercial. Yeah. yeah. And he said, I, "I guarantee, I'm so sure of this safety program for the, my computer that I'm going to give my social security number." Of course, I really wonder if that really was his social security. Even if it. Even if it was, anyone who wants to sign up for that, I encourage them to check on the Internet and, as with everything else, examine what you're buying before you buy it. You're certainly right, because there are, mm -hmm. not, I'm not saying this one's a con job, but by the way, one thing I heard from a, on a consumer radio program, mm -hmm. don't believe that commercial where it says freecreditreports.com. The guy said, one, I think his name was Clark Howard, mm -hmm. said on the radio that a lot of those things, he said, it's a cute song, it's a cute singing commercial, but it's not a free credit report. No, it isn't. Uh, you have to sign up for it. Yeah, my friend and I tried to get, my friend wanted to order one of those once, and so she sent a letter to them, and they sent a letter saying that was like an $11 fee or something, so it's not a free credit report. No, but you can, you are entitled to a free credit report from each agency every single year. Mm -hmm. um, there's a government site that you can go to. I should, I should pull that out because that's a good piece of service information. I'll do that for next week. Um, <coughs> excuse me, but the, the tendency for people when they do ask for a credit report is to ask for a report from all three agencies at the same time. Mm-hmm. And... What makes a whole lot more sense is that you ask for one every four months. Yeah. So you'll do TransUnion one time, and um, I can't remember the other two, um, but, you know, like in September and then another one in, in January and another one in June <coughs> or May. Oh, before I forget it, uh, this is more of an immediate public service issue. Remember to set your clock back. Well, it's already done. I'm looking at it. It says 137, and my little head says, no, it's not. It's almost 3 o'clock, but it's not. Computer automatically resets itself. Oh, the, the computers, the computer clocks automatically do it, don't they? Yes, they do. Unless Congress changes the rule about daylight saving time again. In which case, the master program would automatically be updated. Oh, would it automatically? Yeah, uh, well, I say automatically. I, I get updates. Uh, yeah. You know, it, it'll drop down and say... Which Cause remember, just until about three years ago or so, or four years, it was always the last Sunday in October. Mm-hmm. Because no. I can, if you listen to some OTR from the 30s, it was the last Sunday in September, if you can believe it. Yes, I can believe it. Yeah, we used to have daylight, we used to only have daylight time from April till September. 
I still don't really like the idea of switching the time every few months. Oh, I'm on your side. Maybe we ought to start a petition for that, too. When we finish with General Mills, maybe we can do something about the clock changes. So now what's the story exactly? Now they have all these Jack Armstrong transcriptions, mm -hmm. and they don't want to release them. And scripts. They won't even let Martin look at them. Do they give a reason? Yeah, they don't want to. Okay. I don't know. What is, what is the reason that they gave, Walden? Um, I don't think I never knew. I really think I never knew. I mean, what I find interesting about that is this is something that, that's beyond their even scope or memory, a lot of these yeah. people. Oh, sure. And Walden and I have talked about this on occasion, that the companies that do not have a corporate history committed to, to paper or to, you know, recorded, even an oral history are in the hands of people who are too young to even recognize the value of history, never mind the value of their corporation history. Well, it's kind of like all that trouble that that I guess Laura was talking about last year with CBS and what was it, the Jack Benny programs, right, the videos. They didn't want to release them or something. Right. And uh, it seems amazing they would even, I mean, if they don't even care about their history. I mean, they just... I look at it, if a, if a network, let's say, destroys transcriptions, throws them out, puts them in the Atlantic Ocean like NBC did with Peg's things, I figure they've lost their right to even say they have the rights to the material if they don't even care about it. That's just my opinion. Mm -hmm. Well, if I, don't, if I don't care about my car, you can't have it. I mean, throwing them away... You know, are destroying them. Yeah, I mean, sinful. the only reason we were able to get so many shadow episodes, as I understand it, is they blew coal and those people were putting them in the dumpsters and Mr. Michelson found them, right? Well, I haven't heard that one, but I would not be surprised. Yeah, that's what I heard somewhere. And he found these transcriptions. So... Uh, yeah, I hope you can... So, so what's the story? Now, I, I joked last week about... Buying a stock, I was uncomfortable about the stock market. Now, I, didn't, I thought it was, but now I realize it's a really serious, what do you need, like, uh, do you really need someone to buy shares of General Mills? Yes, we expect you to buy 100,000 shares, and the rest of us are going to buy 49. We're not even going to buy 49. We want, we've, oh, Walden, you know, I'm going to, I can't send you to your room, but I could send you out to the yard, couldn't I? I could go and go to the, grab a pop, and I'd come back. You could go well, in the garage. I she'd be on her own on the show tonight. Well, Trisha, I'll, 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 why don't I serve my punishment right now and I'll go to the garage? <laughs> That's right. That's where you keep your pop. Who would answer the phone <laughs> when they called? I'm going to punish myself. I'll be right back. <laughs> the, the situation is General Mills, of course, now you know, will not even allow Martin Grahams to look at the material. They don't want to participate in a book. Martin even went to the point of giving them final proof and approval on the copy before it goes to print. And they turned him down. The legal department just turned him down. So last week we were talking and I, uh, Walden said, well, if everybody buys one share, then we can have a whole bunch of people who are stockholders. And I thought, well, we've got a public relations um, opportunity here and also national news coverage if all of us get together to buy one share. 
So we figured if we get 50 people to kick in $1 each, then we can buy one share and say we've got 50 investors. I see. Sounds like a winner to me. Yeah, well, I can't, I can't do it this week, of course, but I mean, I, I'm, I'm certainly willing to consider a dollar only, huh? A dollar only, and we're, we're not collecting the money until we have 50 people. Yeah, you don't even have to send it now. Um, just if you would let us know that you make a pledge of one dollar, it will help us reach our goal. And we'll take the we'll take the installment plan. Yeah, and and what we need is fifty names on the list. And if you're willing to put yours on the list, it would really help. Okay. Yeah. Willing to do that? Sure. Oh. There's no reason that. There's no. I mean. And I'll take Armstrong I'll, and, was an important part of General Mills' yeah, history. And I'll take the easy installment plan, you know, a penny a week. You know, we'll, we'll make it work. And I can just send it to you at Yesterday USA, or? Oh, yeah. You don't even have to send it yet. We're just collecting names right yeah, now. Yeah, you know, it might take a little while, but yeah. When, when we have enough names, we'll notify everybody and ask you to send the, the $1. Okay, that's, that's good. Yeah. So it'll give you an opportunity to save up your money. Okay. Yeah. I'm, do, I'm willing to do that. I mean, he, he, and Martin has certainly done his work and research on all of this stuff. Oh, and he offered him sample contracts and everything else, and I just turned him down. Uh, and you know what's frustrating? I mean, if someone wanted to write a book about, oh, let's say one of the recent cartoon shows they did, they'd probably approve. <laughs> right. <laughs> because that's something people who are there can identify with. They don't yeah. have any idea what old-time radio is, yeah. Well, I told, uh, years ago, Bud Carey, who used to do old-time radio in the Bay Area, mm -hmm. uh, we, we, they were trying to get, he was trying to get a show on one of the NPR stations, and they told him, if you'll clear the rights to the shows, if you'll get permission to, to, from everybody who's in charge of these shows, we'll consider it. So Bud Carey, for example... He called Mutual to find out, well, if I wanted to broadcast The Mysterious Traveler. And naturally he went to Mutual because it was a Mutual show. The people at Mutual didn't even know what the show was. The Mysterious what? And this was in their programming department. So I guess you have to go to the writers or, the li or whoever owns the... Of course, the question is, I don't want to get into the whole copyright thing again, but... A lot of these things are so vague, you don't know even know who owns the copyrights on these things. Right. Is and it the network? Is it the writer? Is it the producer? And, and, and in most cases, a lot of them will just not be nude. Right. They're probably public domain. Yes. They're out in the public domain. And there's a, there's a school of thought that says as long as you do due diligence and you try your best and you can say we tried every avenue and we couldn't locate the owner, you run the show, and if someone challenges it, then of course you don't. You pull the show, but as long as you have been able to sit down and say we investigated every possible area and could not locate an owner, and therefore we have presumed that it's in the public domain, you're fine. Right. Well, I know that. Uh, was it? Uh, we remember that there was. Wasn't it at a summer camp a few years ago? Some, they, they were sued for, would you believe, singing Happy Birthday? Well, I always thought Happy Birthday was in the public domain, but apparently it was written by two two, lady. two they, ladies wrote it back in the 1890s or whatever. They just recently sold the right to Happy Birthday to a corporation. Guess how much the corporation spent on 
the song Happy Birthday? How much? Give me a number. Uh, $50. Patricia? I don't know. How much? $28 million. For happy For the rights to happy birthday? For the right to happy birthday. So if you if it's performed, I mean you can sing it. Of course, no one will know if you're singing it to your kids at a party. No corporation will know. But I guess. Well, ACAP and BMI and people's knocking on everybody's door. Are you gonna sing this week? If so, can you give us a check? But I guess if you play it on the radio or you 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 make a record of it or something, you have to get their permission. No, you just gotta give them the money. Oh. You don't need their permission. You just give them the money. Okay. That's all. Wow. Okay, we got kind of sidetracked. So what is the question now, Patricia? Okay, the question is, who was first mate Red Gallagher? Gallagher? Mm-hmm. Let me think now. Oh, boy. My memory, my phone. You know, my memory is fading tonight. I know that it's in my head, but I can't. I can't place the character. I know Red Albright, I think, was Captain Midnight. That's right. He was. Well, this is a character. This is the, the name of the character is First Mate Red Gallagher. Uh, First Mate is his title. No, I don't know. I'm sorry. <gasps> it just totally slipped my mind. I was going to answer something for donating to the auction, too, not for me. Well, you know what? What? Because you tried so hard, and you... And! And! He got the do- he got Daisy 12 puppy name already correct. I was just going to say, um, see, you're all wound up again. <laughs> so you're still leaving the Gallagher question open for the next caller, right? The Gallagher question is open, but because you put up with an answer to the best of your ability, <laughs> Walden's puppy question... <laughs> You are welcome to choose something. I, I did hear, by the way, that I think I think uh, those were the days is going to be doing a Blondie Christmas show, I think, in December, Walden. So. Uh, you know, uh, in your honor, Jim, I think you should listen to the show. I, I, well, I, they'll be doing other things on the same show, so. Well, I thought you should pick out just to listen to Blondie. Uh, if nothing else. Yes. It's the last show on the program, too, so. Then I think you should stick it out. By the way, one thing I am going to be doing, my friend, my eight-year-old, my my friend's eight-year-old daughter is going to be, I'm giving her, we're getting her a copy of the Cinnamon Bear for Christmas this year. So she's going to be introduced, eight-year-old Abigail is going to be introduced to Patio Cinnamon this holiday season. That is so cute. Oh, I think she's going to love it. Oh, I know she will. And I suggested to her mom, too, that they play one chapter a day. That's the way to do it. Mm-hmm. And we're not too far away. That's our Thanksgiving day. Right, I know. I've, I've, ta- I've, I've talked to Neil sending it to her. She's just at the age where I think she can really start appreciating it. Sure. Oh, sure. It was a great series, although there were people that didn't like it. I know people that didn't like it. There are people who don't like, you know, it's the old Abe Lincoln thing, all of the people some of the time, some of the people all right. of, but never all of the people all of the time. But it was, but, but, when you, but when you think about 
that it was, and it was originally a show strictly done for radio, and your imagination conjures up all these characters. Mm-hmm. And when you think of what a great cast was in that thing, people like Howard McNear and Elliot Lewis and Henley Stafford and um, Gail Gordon and uh, all these people that were in the show. It's an amazing list. Agreed. Agreed. Okay, what would you like me to talk into the auction for you? I'm going to donate. Let's see, we did, we, did, uh, we did Frontier Gentlemen. I'm keeping track of what we've donated. I've done Suspense, Johnny Dollar. I think I did Frontier Gentlemen last week, right? That is correct. Have Gun Will Travel or The Couple Next Door. Uh, I guess I'll do Have Gun this week to make John Daner's two best series. Have Gun. I would love to do that. Will Travel. By the way, I have an episode I'd like to recommend to you of Have Gun if you want to hear Howard McNear at his best. Check out the episode called That Was No Lady, February 21st, 1960. And give me a little bit about the story. That was the one. Pal, uh, Paladin is hired by a man named Felber Phibbs, who was played by Howard McNear, to go to the town of Blackwater to close down the Paradise Saloon so the more respectable element can take over the building. And he encounters the saloon owner. Now, I don't want to give the rest of it away, but Howard McNear plays Felber Phibbs. Again, that's That Was No Lady, February 21st, 1960. Okay. I don't recall having listened to that one. Now I'm going to have to go back to my files. Yeah, I think you'll enjoy it. It was a great performance by Howard McNear. I have yet to come across I Have Gun Will Travel that I didn't enjoy. You know, another thing he did that was very, another character he played on your truly Johnny Dollar you know, during the Bob Bailey era, you know, Howard McNear played Alvin P. Barty Cartwright. Mm-hmm. One of the most funny characters Johnny ever dealt with. And he dealt with some funny characters. Yeah, he dealt with some funny ones, yeah. But I just wanted to bring those up, and I keep up the good work, both of you. Okay, and I have uh, now four shows or four CDs to send to the auctions under your name. Okay, I'll have, we'll do it next week. If we do, we'll do the, I guess we have two more before the auction, don't we? That's right. We'll do two more next, we'll do one next week and maybe one the following week. I've, we'll do the couple next week and maybe, oh, maybe, uh, have you decided if you're going to send the worst shows to the auction yet? I haven't. It's hard to know how to handle that, isn't it? It, it is. And, you know, it, it, the list really needs to be cleaned out and updated and added to. So I'm, I'm leaning toward not doing it this year, but maybe a real humdinger next year. Are you, you going to do it like a volume two of worse shows? Um, no, I, I think I'm just going to have an updated volume one. Mm-hmm. Because there are some things that I've added and others that I, I took off because they really weren't awful. They just, I just didn't. Like you mentioned, what was the one you took off? One of them you said you took off, was it the Planet Man you took off? No, I, I think I left Planet Man on. It was 2000. Oh, yeah, 2000 plus. Yeah, that was it. I yeah. That went off the list. Mm-hmm. Well, you, okay, well, I'm sure you, well, I. Are there going to be any new entries onto the list? Oh, yeah. Is there any new show that you, that you've thought of? Not that I had thought of. You know, Jim, I come across single shows more than series. Mm-hmm. But I'm, this week, uh, in my 
my free time after the library closes and all the places <laughs> that are closed are, aren't there anymore, I've spent a little bit of time kind of hopping here and there looking for various series with unusual names or names that I never heard of before and kind of hunting down some new stuff. What I'm curious about that was on your on your desk, and it was just a curiosity, because my memory was it was a very popular show, but I guess it wasn't with you, and that was the soap, This is Norad Reich. This is not, well, you know, part of it, Jim, is that there are so few, so few shows surviving out of so many of these things that you couldn't pick up a storyline. Right. If I close my eyes and imagine that I'm really listening to a soap opera, mm-hmm. it's a cool show. I don't have any problem with the show. It's just as a standalone with your eyes open <laughs> and knowing yeah. that you're in a real world, um, it's, it leaves a little to be desired, you know? I'd well, I guess it, the, that's the whole problem, really, with collecting soaps in general. Mm-hmm. Unless you have consecutive episodes of given series, many of them are very isolated. Mm-hmm. There might be one chapter or two of here and one there, and it might be three years after the previous chapter that you'd heard. And I, t- and I still haven't moved the storyline very far from that point. That's yeah. It's like listening to a single Vic and Sade or a single couple next door when it's supposed to be part of an entire, even a, a single Amos and Aunt, not an Amos and Andy, Lum and Abner, a single Lum and Abner uh, can lose people, but if they stay with it for a couple of shows and pick up that there really is a storyline and these same people come back time after time, it's a fun show, but just as, as a standalone, it's hard to get into it. Right, well, because it seems like my, I remember my grandmother like Nora Drake, if I, or this is Nora Drake, if I recall. I know my mother mentioned that my grandmother used to listen to it sometimes. Yeah, and as an escape in the 1940s, I think it probably was really cool. Yeah. I, well, I, I do agree with you about Nona from Nowhere, though. I mean, it just kind of had, the name of it itself. I know. <laughs> <laughs> the name of it itself. Some shows, you know, get rehabilitated, though. Like you mentioned, 2000 plus, they get off, they get off the bad list. Yeah, yeah, they they made it. They redeemed themselves with me. You're right. All right, my, I put my different ears on. So. But you're but but uh, but it's one thing fun as you look at these shows objectively. You know, a lot of I think a lot of people who collect, they think you know they think of the golden age as the golden age, and and I'm sure there's a lot of collectors that have not listened to every program or every series in their collection. I'm sure that's the case with a lot of people. Mm-hmm. So they don't think about, you know, what's good or what's bad. Mm-hmm. I know when you read books like John Dunning's, it, it's his opinion, and other people might feel totally different. For the most part, I agree with John, most of what John Dunning has said about shows, though. I tend to, I think he's really up on them. Uh, Good critic. Are there anything you disagree with him on, Jim? Yeah, actually, there is one, and that was in the first book. I thought he was a bit harsh towards Theater 5. Mm-hmm. And what did he say? Well, he said that, uh, techni- that the technique in the radio drama had gone flabby by then, and uh, technique had sagged. He said that ABC deserved an A for effort. Too bad the effort wasn't stronger than this. <laughs> ooh, ooh, ooh. ooh. But that was your. But, but in the second book, he, he didn't say anything about Theater Five except its history and that Fred Foy had ousted, and it was an attempt to revive radio drama. Wow! Oh, bite me! Wow! That was a harsh. 
harsh statement. Well, have you heard Theater 5, Patricia, any of them? Never. I never even heard of it, Jim. This was ABC's attempt to revive drama from in the 1964-65 era. Ah, uh, see, I haven't listened. I, I can... I could probably count on, on my two hands how many shows from the 60s I've listened to, other than things like Johnny Dollar that was a continuation of a series. And suspense and things like that, yeah. Yeah. But uh, Theater 5 was, it was an anthology series. There was science fiction. There was mystery. There was Cold War-type stories. There were a couple of Vietnam stories. There were things about social commentary, about the youth, youth rebellion. There, there were stories about corporations. Just... Just a wide assortment of things. 260 programs were produced under the Theater 5 title. Somebody it was so named, I've heard two accounts. One, because ABC sent it down the line weekdays at 5 p.m. Stations never carried it live. They would just play it whenever they wished to. Mm -hmm. Or, because it was called Theater 5 because it aired five days a week. Many stations ran it on Sundays, sort of in a two-hour block. It was, to me, it was a note. Where the attempt, all the top New York radio people were in it, like Ralph Bell and uh, Brian Rayburn and Ralph Camargo and and a few. And Sammy Davis guest starred in one episode. Oh. Uh, Alan Alda did one episode. Mel Allen even did one episode. Fred Foy announced it. So. And who was one of their stock writer, staff writers for that series? Uh, Jeff was it Jeff? Uh, uh, Frank Thomas. That's right, Frankie Thomas, who was. Who was? Tom Corbett. Tom Corbett yeah. of Spain. And, and, and la it lasted, Patricia. The network ran it from July, August 3rd, 1964 to July 30th, 1965. Now, what was John Dunning's um, dissatisfaction with it? He said technique had flabbed. You know, radio drama, the technique by the actors had grown flabby. That's, I don't know, he didn't elaborate, really. So it, it sounds like he thought it was a stale concept that should have been jettisoned in favor of something newer? I guess so. I, he wasn't clear on that. Uh, he, he just said the effort. He said ABC deserved an A for effort, but strong, it should have been stronger than this. <laughs> but that's the only thing I really disagreed with John Dunning on, because I was so... I discovered Theater 5 by accident in 1964, tuning the radio dial around one at one day. Mm -hmm. And I was just struck in awe that a network was trying drama again, because I was real disappointed when Johnny Dollar and Suspense were canceled. Yeah. Being the last two shows. Mm -hmm. And the idea of a network actually trying to bring stories back to radio was so impressive to me. I mean, it may have, they may have been bad stories, but just the fact that a network was doing anything in that realm yeah. just impressed me. Mm-hmm. They get an A unreserved mm -hmm. they got an A for effort unreserved right according to him anyway no qualifications they just got the A yeah well he said that like the science fiction stories had been done better on X minus one he didn't comment on the uh, political stories or the uh, mystery stories as such there was a lot of science fiction done on theater five but there were other things done as well I think you would enjoy many of them. I, I you know, they, 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 some of the stories make you think. Some of them were entertaining. Some of them were humorous. Didn't Rosemary Rice say in her interview, Walden, that we did a few years ago last year, that she thought that many of those theater fives had a great deal of punch to them? I don't remember, but I would not be surprised. He worked on that show several times. Uh-huh. 
yeah. Yep. It was a good, uh, it was a good series, uh, I thought. Anyway, anyway, Patricia, maybe you could sample some of them at some point, and you can give me your comments later. I would be happy to do that. Okay. So you say, and, and uh, I gather that your main interest in radio is the 30s, 40s, and 50s as such. That's, well, I, when you say main interest, those are the ones I've heard, Jim. Right. Um, the 30s and 40s are the ones that I seem to enjoy the most. When, when you get into the 50s, the, the uh, what am I saying, the character, the personality, that's the better word, the personality of the shows started to evolve into a more modern format and more modern presentations. And well, uh, well, you know, like uh, we've talked about how the crime shows in the 50s took on a harder edge. Yeah, and I don't mind the harder edge, but they were losing some of their campiness. Right. Their unbelievability, their overwriting. They, you know, they were all overwritten, and that was part of the fun. And when they started getting closer to reality in the 50s and then into the 60s, and this is across the board, I don't mean just the detectives, they didn't have as much pizzazz for me. I really like the old stuff. Not that I dislike the newer, you know, the, the, when we got closer to the end of old-time radio. Those are fine. I just, my ears tend to like the 30s and 40s best. Well, you know, the, uh, the comedy, uh, I, I, I'm still amazed when you think of some of the comedies, for example, when you think of Faber McGee or you think of Gildersleeve, I do agree with you that most people, that the 15-minute Faber McGee's lost something. I think we all agree there. Uh, Gildersleeve kept its quality right to the end, I think. Would you agree there? Well, I, I, I will say yes. Uh, quality, yes. There, there was, again, a personality change as the years progressed. There were changes in the show that changed the character of the show, but that didn't change the quality of the show. So, sure, quality I agree with 100%. But, uh, but uh, I think when the, when the studio audience left uh, for Riggy and Molly, it wasn't quite the same. No, it wasn't. And I, you know, it, it, I think it was a combination of things, and Walden has some thoughts on this also. Were, you know, they've been doing it since 1935, too. Right. They were accustomed to playing to an audience. They were out of vaudeville. They they thrived on the audience feedback. When you listen to some of these shows, especially the ones where Fibber makes some flubs, they, they absolutely thrive on the hilarity that the audience is going through and the fun that the audience had with them. And when they lost that, they lost the spark for them, the they, they weren't fired up anymore, and I think it showed. In well, I think a lot of stars, you know, when, when you do a show so many years, and it doesn't matter if it's a drama or a, or a uh, comedy, I suppose, if you do a show for years and years, I suppose you run out of ideas or you run out, of, I mean, I'm amazed that so many TV and radio shows lasted as long as they did when you think about it. Because, you know, they have to come up with some, they have to come up with a new plot every week. If it's a weekly show, they have to come up with a new plot every week. Well, we've talked about that, and I, I just, I sit here and I scratch my head and say, I don't know how they did it, Jim. I really don't know how they did it. I mean, I'm a, I mean I, I, on an anthology show like, say, Suspense, I can understand that it would be easy, you know, writers can write a different theme each week, but, but shows with continuing characters... 
you could only, you know, I'm st- and especially, I guess, with a comedy, try to think of new jokes every week. That must be a massive undertaking. I mean, I, I try to imagine, like, Jack Benny's writers yeah. having to come up with something different every week to keep the show fresh. Mm-hmm. And, or all the shows, for that matter. Yeah. I think it was probably easier to write for an ongoing show like Jack Benny, but especially a Fibber McGee and Molly, you know, a true comedy, not a a variety-type comedy, but a true comedy show like Gildersleeve and Fibber because the characters themselves didn't change. So after even just a couple of weeks, the writers could sit back and say, what would Fibber do in a situation like this? Right, and and also, you know, the thing is, a a new situation each week. I'm thinking like every year, you know, they, they'd manage to do different Christmas shows every year. Mm-hmm. And I imagine that would be a challenge coming up with a new Christmas theme each year, too. I mean, what can you do with Christmas that you didn't do last year? A lot, apparently. <laughs> well, they did there. They, they came up with different ones every every year. Sure did. Did you have, a, of, of all the Fibber McGee Christmas shows, which one was your favorite? Ooh, I used to say... The Christmas tree, painting the Christmas tree white. That was the one in what year, Walden? Uh, December 18, 1945. Okay. Okay. I always liked the December 24, 46 show. I guess in part because with the, with the singing the night before, Teeny and them singing the night before Christmas, when it really was the night before Christmas, it just seemed to strike close to home. Mm-hmm. Well, I, what was the story on that one? Was that one about the toys, Walden? Especially Christ- the toys, yeah. I love the way the opening, he's he's opening up the music box and he, he opened it and he said, yeah, Molly's playing a new tune, Silent Night. Yes, yes. And that, I know that's Walden's favorite. Yeah. So I'm, I'm starting to vacillate between painting the Christmas tree white, which has always been a real, I, I just get such a kick out of it. And then I listen to the one where he's haggling um, about the price of a tree, but I, I kind of toss that one out. Yeah. Decorating the house when he blows. Oh yeah, December twentieth, forty nine. Misspelled Christmas, and he ran it around the corner of the house, and. Um, that's so vivid. That's so vivid in my memory when he blows out the the lights. When he oh. blows out the lights, and it's so sweet when Teeny comes over and says, "Oh, Mr. McGee, you have the prettiest house in the neighborhood," because Molly had a railroad lantern uh-huh. was seen. And she had the green lantern on the front porch, and she had been holding it so Fibber could see what he was doing. And when they blew out the lights, they had the green light, and nobody had any, and no one had any lights at all. Well, I liked all of the Jack Benny Christmas shopping shows, but I think my favorite one was the one in Palm Springs about the dates. For some reason, the dates just struck me as especially funny. Oh, nuts with, uh, the dates with nuts and without nuts. With and without the nuts, yes. That just, I mean. You could just picture Mel Blanc just, I mean, here he he gets transferred to Palm Springs to get away from Jack, and there Jack is right there, again. Important. (laughs) Of course, I also like the one about where he sees the psychiatrist about Jack. Yes. And he drives the, Jack drives the psychiatrist crazy at the end. Really? Those were funny shows. They were. They were excellent shows. Well, it won't be long, Patricia, till we'll be celebrating Christmas. We did it in July, but you and Walden, I'm sure, will be celebrating it in just a few weeks again. 
Yes, we will. Walden gets all wound up, right? Walden always started earlier than tonight when he played some Christmas music while he was having dinner. <laughs> He's been playing Christmas music, which is fine because I play Christmas music all year. Yeah, it's a secret. Well, I wonder this year, if, like I maybe mentioned last year, I wonder if this year our, one of our local radio stations will start playing it on Veterans Day. I guess we'll know November 11th. Yeah, it won't be too long. Yeah. But I know we'll get it before Thanksgiving, I'm sure. Yes. Good stuff. Okay, well, you all have a wonderful evening. Thanks, Jim. You have a great night and a good day tomorrow. You do the same. You do the same, Patricia and Walden. Alrighty then. Thank you much. Bye-bye. Family keeping us occupied tonight. Family is keeping us occupied. I have one question out there. Oh, good. And see, Patricia's been so good about this. She should stretch for a question over, <laughs> what, five, four hours? That's pretty good. Yeah. That's good. Hello there, you're on the air. Yeah, I've got an answer for you. Uh-oh. <gasps> he's got it. Okay. You think he's got I it? Yeah, I've got it. You got it. I didn't think I, I was... Was were you sure about it, or were you thinking about it, and then you became sure about it? Oh, no, no, I didn't know it at all. And then I was oh. going to look out, uh, look through the Jerry Hennigus list of radio shows, because I knew I saw it yesterday. Okay. The question was, who was first mate Red Gallagher? He was on Voyage of the Scarlet Queen. That is correct. And who? And he was first mate to whom? Which is not part of the question, but... You know, I don't remember the captain's name. <laughs> oh, gotcha. <laughs> yes, you did. No, 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 that wasn't part of the question. You. Uh, no, I, I don't know, remember the captain's name, but I like that show. I do. It's a good show, and the captain was played by Elliot. Yeah, Reed. Uh, Elliot Lewis, yes. Who is one of my favorite, favorite people, and he did such a wonderful job on that show. And it was such a well-written show. Walden, who did the writing for that show? There was a sound effect guy named Ray Kemper. Uh, some scientific guys wrote the series, mm -hmm. and some of them had background, I think it was a group effort, and some had background that they had a background in nautical and boat sailing and things like that, and they, yep. they used that whole opening routine. Yep. The nautical integrity of mm -hmm. that show was perfect. Yeah, it really was. The people who wrote that show and, and prepared the scripts for that show understood the water. Yeah, the yeah, they did. Good navigation, and they were sailors. Yep, I think so. Oh, they, they did a wonderful job. It was Philip Carney, Captain Philip. Ah, uh, yes. Point sail! Yeah. Point but sail! Now, was that spelled with a K or a C? C. Okay. R-N-E-Y. You know? Now, yeah, now, what was the name of the audition? You know, they, they, the audition didn't go with the voice of the Scarlet Queen. No, I don't know if I ever heard yeah. it. I, well, I must have heard it, but I it don't remember. Black is in the title. I'm trying to think of the rest of the title at the moment. Like the Black something. Hmm. Yeah, I don't know. I guess I'll think of it here. And the thing you got me in the audition, mm -hmm. they flip uh, Elliot Lewis and Howard Duff roles. So Howard Duff wound up being the lead, and Elliot Lewis with the, uh, sit, uh, with the, uh, the first mate. And, of course, you know, they flipped it during the actual run of the voice of Scarlet Queen. Was Howard Duff in that? He, he, he did the audition. Only the audition. Yeah. That's because, I guess, he wanted to be the captain, but... Yep. Wasn't... I, I don't think... After the audition, they got a handle on this and put 
Elliot Lewis in the lead role? Yeah. Yeah. The Black? No, I can't um, remember. Remember, because I think I would have remembered a deaf in the, mm -hmm. the first mate role. But anyway, like I said, I yep. thought I, I thought I was going to have to look through Jerry's log because I knew what I mean, but I just couldn't think of the name of it. But then I did went and did something else, and it just popped into my head. So you did good. You did good. Um, do you have? Uh, hopefully, a good collection of Theater 5. No. Okay. I don't have any. Oh. If you like, um, if you like kind of short, I mean, they were trying to bring back, I guess the show actually started at 5 o'clock for a while, and uh, I think they ran two shows a day, and that's why they called it Theater 5. But they were from the 60s. But there's some really good uh, and some very surprising people in those in those shows. Um, but that's that you can you can find the OTR collection. Mm -hmm. if you want to listen to them of the, and it'll fill more than a DVD. I'll tell you, just enough to to be <laughs> just a little bit too full for a deep for a DVD. Hmm. And tell me the name of the show again, please. Theater 5. Inner 5. No, I theater. T-H-E-A-T-E-R. Theater 5. Oh, Theater 5. Yeah. Like, what is Jim talking about? Okay. All right. Like I said, you can find that. The, there's an OTRR collection of, of single shows or of, I forget how many CDs it was, because it was like, I don't know, nine or eight or something. Okay. Quite a lot of shows. You want me to send these to you or to the auction? Oh, no, no, to the auction. The auction. Uh, okay. If you can find them. If not, that's, you know. They need a box. You people are doing so beautifully. <laughs> Thank you so much for the auction. And you've got one, two, three, four, five. You've got five going to the auction. All right. Well, I think it's really important. And I, I, think, I think if nothing else, we're letting um, uh, Bill know how important the, the family is to the auction itself and to the radio station itself. I think that's a good point. So we're, and we're, I think Patricia and I agree with you 100% last year. We're trying to ensure job security. That's right. I <laughs> <laughs> wouldn't tell him that, but it, I don't think he's listening. We so. have our zeros to take care of. That's right. That's right. Anyway, I just wanted to answer that question so that I could put that out there and, and uh, right. give you another auction thing. You can rest easy. Okay. <laughs> okay, Kurt. Thanks. See you later. Calling. Okay. Bye. Bye. All right. We're doing good. Yes, we are. I'm just keeping track of stuff here. I'm keeping better track of this than I did of my <laughs> during the week. <laughs> I got kind of bits and pieces that I'm putting together tonight. Um, okay. All right. We're, we're not going to let you get away with without this stuff. I am going to ask you... I'll ask you my Stump Walden question, but I also know that you know the answer. Oh, isn't that perfect? So how it couldn't be a Stump Walden question when you know Walden knows the answer? Well, because you know almost everything. But oh. it's kind of, it's a fun answer, and I've got some information that goes along with it. Oh, so you had a motivated agenda behind asking me the question. I have an agenda. Okay. I have an agenda. 
All right, here's my stump Walden question. Who lived at 83 Wistful Vista? I say the old timer. <gasps> we stumped Walden. Oh, man. We stumped Walden. How about that? So what, that the great Gildersleeve address? Yes, it was. Ah. Gildersleeve's address, May 27th, 1941. Um, after pushing him off a ladder, Fibber... <laughs> right, he, he, Fibber pushed Gildersleeve off the ladder, so he went to the studio to make a recording of an apology for Gildersleeve. Do you recall that show? No, I do not. Okay, I've, I've heard it a couple of times. And the, and the record was to be sent to Gildersleeve at 83 Wistful Vista. So that's that's where Gildersleeve's address came from. So wait a minute. Mm-hmm. Wasn't Gildersleeve supposed to be his next door neighbor? I know. Isn't that peculiar? Yeah. So how do we get from 79 to 83? It beats the heck out of me. <laughs> I asked that question. <laughs> you know, when I first came across this and I found this piece of information, mm-hmm. um, it, uh, that's, the, that's the question that I asked because they should have been side by side. Absolutely. But if there was an empty lot between them, which I don't recall anybody ever talking about, that would have been that would have made it correct. But I don't remember anybody mentioning that there was a... And maybe Don Quinn put that on purpose just to see people were paying attention. Yeah. Mm-hmm. You know, when you dig, when you conjure up people's curiosity, they, mm-hmm. they stay with something, you know? Yeah, yep. <laughs> like, oh, especially if they think there's something wrong. Oh, yeah. Like it should have been. They stay with the person or they stay with the show or they stay with the book sometimes. Right. See what else is wrong. What else can we catch them in? Right. Oh, it might have been a good technique. Although, I don't think he needed any help. In 1941, they were pretty solid. Oh, yeah. All right. I, I have two history questions. Two? Yeah, they're both presidential history. Now, you're hot on presidents, right? Right. All right. Here's the first one. The first one is a quote. The second one is a, a question about what happened in history. All right. Which president said, this is a quote, a government big enough to give you everything you want is a government big enough to take everything from you. Give you everything. I said that wrong. Uh, but, well, how about Calvin Coolidge? How about, no. The, the person who, who said this said it a lot more smoothly than I did. Could I have a second chance at it? I mean, the message Ad- is the same, but he said it more beautifully than I tripped up. Adorable, you have yeah, your ador- second Adorable tripped over her tongue. Uh, adorable, you have your second chance right now. Thank you. Thank you. A government big enough to give you everything you want is a government big enough... A great thought, a wonderful quote, and it's so well presented. And I, I would have put it farther back. I mean, even as far back as Thomas Jefferson. Oh yeah. <laughs> but it's it's one of those ageless and timeless messages, and he said it so beautifully. So that was a Gerald Ford quote. Okay, now we're on November fifth. You bet. You still have some November fifth left. Almost. 
Okay. Are you ready? Ready. On November 5th, 1968, Republican Richard M. Nixon won the presidency, defeating a Democrat and a third-party candidate. Who were they, and what was the third party? Hubert, uh, Hubert Humphrey, with the Democrat, and it independent. Was it George McGovern? No, McGovern was a Democrat. I know, but I thought for a while he ran as an independent. This was an actual party. It wasn't just an independent huh. uh, ticket. George McGovern wouldn't have run side by side with Hubert Humphrey. Well... You know, he, he, he was one of those characters that started to change his thoughts and changes over a period of time. And, you know, then he started speaking the anti-war drum. But if he, if he went toe-to-toe against one of his, his own, he never would have been acknowledged by the Democratic Party again. Ever. I don't know if that ever bothered him. No, I, th- I think it, it, he would have slit his throat politically if he had done that. Uh-huh. But he didn't. <laughs> we'll never know. <laughs> uh, what third party? Third party. Third party candidate. I know what I know the answer. Okay. And it's what the uh, the surprise party party by Gracie Allen. Hello there. Hello, I have an answer for you. <laughs> uh, well, what? that was that was she ran in what nineteen forty. Yeah, now she ran in nineteen forty. Yeah, yeah, the surprise party. That's uh-huh. a good. And I know Eddie Cantor ran one year too, didn't he? We there were want, songs about it. We want, we want, we want Cantor. We want Cantor. <laughs> well, in 1968, it was George C. Wallace, and the party was the American Independent Party. You got it. And here's a trivia question for you. Oh Who no! Who was George C. Wallace's running mate that year? Oh. Oh my goodness, I don't know. Walden, this is your bailiwick. Alright, read that again, Jim. You want to know? No, I want you to read the question again. Who was George C. Wallace's running mate on the American Independent Party in 1968 for vice president? Rodney King? Nope. Oh, Walden. It wasn't Dagwood either. Oh it wasn't Dagwood, Walden. <laughs> well, I was just trying to see if anybody was paying attention to the uh, political undercurrent I was trying to see. Everybody that. was paying attention. <laughs> it would be an odd combination for George Wallace. Well, I think it would have been. Very unique. You're going to start getting calls and letters, folks. Uh, he, he, he would have had an internal fight with him on his own little... They would have attacked with machine guns. (laughs) But he was a rather prominent American, by the way. Really? Yes. Um, somebody we heard of? Well, he he played an important part in in military history. I'll give you that clue. So, was he a general? Yes, he was. Well, I figured by then, General McCartney was dead. Uh... (laughs) 
Hey, everything. Probably a general from Vietnam. World War II. And Korea, I think. Huh. Omar Bradley? Nope. I don't know, Jim. Who? Curtis LeMay. Oh, Curtis LeMay. Yeah, basically, he really, really was known to the Vietnam. Yeah, he, he proposed. Him. I know he was involved in the Air Force yeah. in World War II, or the Army Air Corps in yeah. World War II. Yeah, especially in Vietnam, too. Yeah, he proposed. He said that one of the things that made it, he said we should bomb North Vietnam back to the Stone Age. Yeah, that was it. That was it. He was George Wallace's running mate. And I think George Wallace actually did win several states in 68. Um, the guy who did my hearing test also handled Curtis May for many years, and he said, really, he was henpecked. His wife ran his life. Really? Yeah. Wow. Yeah, he said he was just a young, he was just a puppy dog, but his wife's... Hard to, hard to henpeck a general. <laughs> Okay, since I answered that, can I apply to my next thing for the auction? Oh, what a great thought. Yes, of course. Uh, the couple next door. Oh, Jim, you're hot tonight. Yeah. Yes, you are. Let me find you. Where are you? There you go. You got more red lines here than <laughs> Couple next door. Okay. So we've, that's quite a, they'll have quite a few items to choose from. Yes, uh, and you know why November 5th is also famous. Of course, you, I'm sure you've talked already about Guy Fox Day. Yeah, you know, I did. I mentioned it, and I don't know what it is, and I've read... You mean, she meant it right at the beginning of the show. I don't know what it is either. Well, I think it had to do with the gunpowder plot in England. There was a plot by... This is when all the religious wars were going on between Catholics and Protestants, and uh, there was a plot by some militant Catholics to blow up, I think, the British Parliament and kill... I don't know if it was the king or the... I think God... Wasn't Guy Fox one of the leaders of it, if I remember right? It... It involved the gunpowder plot in 1605, no, it wasn't you. I was, I was reading something, and I was just going paragraph after paragraph. I don't care where he was born. Tell me who he was, and then tell me the, the background. Okay, let's see. Guy Fawkes Day in Britain. And I'll lead up to today. So who was Guy Fawkes? See, I'm down to paragraph four, and somebody says, so who was Guy Fawkes? He was a Catholic who, spurred by religious persecution, led a plot to blow up the Houses of Parliament and bring down England's Protestant monarchy. He was, right. he was caught, imprisoned in the Tower of London, and tortured for four days under the personal orders from King James I. He refused to name his co-conspirators, but they were caught anyway. The plotters were tried, found guilty, and sentenced to death by being hanged, drawn, and quartered. I think they did it. Yes. Oh, dear Lord. You know what drawn and quartered is? Uh, uh, isn't that the one they just tried? Cut up all the bodies and the different small uh, it's pieces. Like, it's like being put in half or, or being cut. Is it like being... They quarter them up. Quarter them up, like being in half or something? Mm -hmm. Like, like uh, impaling them? They tie spread eagle, tie one arm to a horse, tie the other arm to a horse, and a leg to a horse, and the other leg to a horse, and oh. let the horses run. Four horses? Four horses. Oh, <laughs> That's a 
cheery thought for going to bed tonight. I know. <laughs> but, it, but it is November 5th. I know they children in England. I did a book report about a book about the gunpowder plot years ago. And I know children in England for years said, remember, remember the 5th of November. Well, that's what it is. It says yeah. Guy, Guy Fawkes Day in Great Britain. They've, it's celebrated every November 5th for centuries and soon after. Now, isn't that interesting? The, the British celebrate the death of um, uh, an insur- what, what is it? an upriser, a protester. Uh, yeah, yeah. It seems like that seems like a, that to me that seems an odd thing to sell. I mean. To me, it would be like, uh, it's almost like they're giving him honor. Mm-hmm. Where it, To me, it would be the equivalent of, say, celebrating November, April 19th in honor of Tim, Timothy McVeigh or something. I mean, I'm not, I'm not comparing the two, actually, but it's just like well, it was, there was an act of terrorism trying to blow up the British Parliament. Yeah. It, it would be like... Um, in the Civil War, hanging a traitor and then celebrating the traitor's day. Yeah. Or, or the traitor's death. It, it just seems peculiar. But anyway, that's it. You that's were why they do it every year. You I know. Well, I think there was even an Adventures of Sherlock Holmes show uh, in 1945 called the Remember the Fifth of November or the Fifth of November from November fifth of 45. I don't know if it's about what it has to do with Guy Fox, but anyway, that's the only reason I can think of it is something about Guy Fox Day. Guy Fox. It's F A W K E S. Guy Fox. Hmm. Wow. So. Quite a bit of history. Uh, yeah, Curtis LeMay. Uh, he. Um, I think George Wallace carried like five states or four states. Maybe five in the in the electoral college. It was a very close election between President between Richard Nixon and Hubert Humphrey, though it was very close in the popular vote, especially. Uh, it doesn't seem like uh, for me. It just seems like yesterday, '68. So uh, anyway, just wanted to give you those answers. Okay, well, I do appreciate it, and thank you for another disc to the auction. Okay, and uh, I'm sure next next week I'll come up with one other show to donate. I'm sure you will. And uh, anyway, it's going to be fun to listen to the auction on the 27th, hearing Bill's bell. That's always fun, hearing his bell. It's Bill's bell, yes. Because you know, because you're bidding on something, and you've got, you think you've got it with three seconds to go, two seconds, and then just then the phone rings. Mm-hmm. <laughs> it's fun, but it's fun to it's fun to observe it every year, even if you don't buy anything, or it's still fun to listen to. I agree. Talk to you later. Okay, thanks, Jim. Have a great night. Sure thing. All Bye. right. Seven one four five four five two zero oh, seven one. Are we having fun yet? I am always have fun with you, Patricia. Oh, you're so good to me, Walden. Oh, I try to be. Oh. My, my, was my one goal to make Patricia happy because she got to stay with me. Yeah, and she never asks for a raise except if, if it's a zero, right? That's right. Right. Okay. She's a, right. She's, a, she's a good value for the money. Okay, I have a brain teaser for you. For me? Yeah, for oh. you. 
Oh, we, uh, wait a minute. I have to take out your history question so I don't ask that next week. Just a minute. Okay. Brain teaser. Here's your brain teaser. Are you ready? You this, bet. This one's a real thinker. A thinker upper. Okay. Here you go. A real thinker. An orphan is separated by a brick wall from his parents. He can't go over it, under it, around it, or through it. How does he get to his parents? Okay, read that one more time. An orphan is separated by a brick wall from his parents. He can't go over it, under it, around it, or through it. How does he get to his parents? Uh, he, he is part of the tree. He's drafted into the plants. What? He's drafted into... A plant, like a tree? Like a parent? I'm not sure I follow this. Well, like, you know, like a family tree? Like a family tree? Or like a plant tree or somebody growing a tree? How does, how does that... Oh, you mean like... How would that... He's separated I'm trying to be creative. Oh, he's separated by a brick wall. How does a tree come in there? Well, I'm just saying that might, he might not be a human being. <laughs> okay. <laughs> he's still separated by a brick wall. <laughs> oh, heaven help me. Um, oh, wait a minute. I think I got the... Read it one more time. All right. An orphan is separated by a brick wall yeah. from his parents. If he can't go over it, under it, around it, or through it, how does he get to his parents? They're already inside the house. He's separated from his parents by a brick wall. He floats hot chocolate over it. I don't know, Patricia. You had too much sugar tonight, Walden. Oh, I need some more. All right, listen to this sentence. I'm going to read the first sentence again. Mm -hmm. An orphan is separated by a brick wall from his parents. Mm-hmm. That's what I've been focusing on. Trying to, I figured that was, the, that was the crux to it. There are three nouns in there. Orphan brick wall, parents. This is not dead air, folks. I don't know. An orphan doesn't have parents. Isn't that awful? Oh. I'm so sorry. Oh. You were supposed to say, oh, boy. Oh, oh Patricia. Oh, you poor baby. You poor. Oh, jeez. The pain of it all. Yeah. All right. You want to redeem yourself? Sure. Okay. We can, we can do a baseball question. All right. All right. 
Are you ready? I'm ready. Okay, I'm depending on this encyclopedia being correct. <laughs> <laughs> okay, and if it's not, I know you'll be able to correct them. All right. All right, how many major league ball players have hit two Grand Slam home runs in a single game? Oh, that thing keeps moving up. I think it's now... I think it's nine now. Boy, oh boy, I never would have guessed. It, it's ten. Ten? Boy, yeah, it's I, too I, close. Yeah, it wasn't too long ago when we added another one. We almost had one for every position for a while, so it's ten now. Okay, well, that's pretty good. Good question, Patricia. Oh, man. You know, the first, the first one was back in 1936. Right. I went 36, 39, 46, 61. Between 46 and 1961, 15 years. 68, 70, 95, and 25 years. Wow. Yeah. 95, 98, 99, and 203. Yeah. 2003. And I don't recognize any of the names. I probably could give you background on some of them. One one name. I recognize one name. You, okay, here we go. Is Johnny Mize on there? Um, no. Oh, okay. How about that? Okay, Tony Lazeri. Yes, uh, famous, famous Yankee. He was part of Murder's Row. Uh, he played in the infield, second base for the New York Yankees, with a Hall of Famer. And it's best known for having the most RBIs in minor league baseball to trip in the Pacific Coast League before he got went to the Yankees. Well, and he was a hard one. I know you didn't know much about him. A <laughs> 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 piece of work. Okay, that was number one. That was already back to 1936. Yep. Jeez. Okay. Yep. Are you ready? I'm ready. Next one is Jim Tabor. Don't know anything about Jim. He was a Boston Red Sox. Okay. 1939. Okay. It was the game uh, July 4th, 1939. He had two Grand Slams in the same game. Can you imagine the high that these guys must have been on? Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Rudy York. Famous Hall of Fame <coughs> Detroit, uh, Detroit Tiger outfielder. Um, he was part of the great uh, all-star lineup of 1933. He kept... Uh, you know, that's when it first started the All-Star game. He was part of that team. Great Detroit Tiger. All right. It, said, it lists him here as Boston. Did he get traded? Uh, maybe he was part of Boston. I always thought it was Tigers. But, well, know, he might have been Tigers. Yeah, he yeah. talking about 1935 and yeah. 1946, so he could have yeah. easily been hopped over. He could be. Uh-huh. Okay. Jim, Jim Gentile. I think he was a pitcher. Um, the name's familiar. I don't, I can't tell you anything about that one. This is the only name I recognized. Uh, Baltimore, 1961. He hit it in 1961. He was, uh, gee, you know, I didn't pull the heading. That's okay. I don't, oh, right fielder. I'm sorry. No, no, I'm, uh, first base. He was okay. first baseman. I was looking at the wrong column. That's okay, yeah. Listen, good for me. You know what? You know what? Look, at it, it's a 1B, and I knew that was first base. Oh, Patricia, you are such a sports and fan. It's just unbelievable. Yeah, I know, but the right, the next one is RF, and I know that's right field. Right. Jim Northrup. Yeah, uh, Detroit Tiger, uh, part of the 1968 World Series team. You are so hot tonight. Yeah. Hank Robinson. Frank Robinson, one of the great all-time 
home run hitters, especially with the Baltimore Orioles, moved around to the Angels, Dodgers, and many other team, and have long stints as a manager. Well, I'm sorry you didn't know too much about him That's either. too bad. <laughs> you're too much. Robin Ventura. Robin Ventura, just named at the new manager for the Chicago White Sox. Uh, played third base for the White Sox. He came with a great hitter at Oklahoma State. And best known for being uh, storming the mound against Nolan Ryan. And Nolan Ryan knocked him out. <gasps> He's the one? Yeah. Oh, my goodness. Yeah. Nope. Picked a fight with the wrong guy. He sure did. Okay. I hope I'm pronouncing this next one's name correctly. Chris Hollies. H-O-L-L-E-S. Hollis. Hollies. Uh, Hollies. Don't know too much about that one. Don't know. Baltimore. Center field. Yeah. A- C means center field, right? You got it. You got it. Okay. And S-S is shortstop. Yep. Don't tell anybody I know these things. All right, now this one is a rough one for me. Nomar Garcia Pera. He was a Boston shortstop, Boston Red Sox shortstop. Great, great. He's married to the uh, soccer hero, Nehemiah, you know, the female soccer star. Uh Um, Was in California, went to school out here, drafted, and then when Boston traded him away, brought in a different shortstop, they won the World Series. Well, excuse me. Oh, you're so good. This is so cool. Okay, Bill Muller. Giants. Boston. Boston. Don't. Don't. <coughs> excuse me. Don't know too much. I didn't mean to upset you. Bless your little heart. It's my non allergies. Did you blow yourself away? Uh huh. It's my non allergies. The doctor says I don't have allergies. You don't have allergies. Yeah. Of course not. You just sneeze. I just sneeze. Okay, he is bossy, or it uh, is, was, I don't know, it's 2003, I guess it could be, is, mm-hmm. uh, Boston third baseman. They were, right, that's about all I can recall. They have a different third baseman now. Ah, uh, okay, seventh inning and eighth inning grand slammers. Back to back, yeah. Back to back, Robin Ventura had back to back number four and five. Wow, uh-huh. Frank Robinson was fifth inning and sixth inning. Uh-huh. Northrop, fifth inning and sixth inning. Wow. Wait, how intimidating is that? That's pretty amazing. <laughs> boy, oh boy, you start yanking pitchers after that, you know? Oh, yeah. Oh, man. And it looks like, hold on. Uh, Nelson. Um, the only one who pulled it, who pulled um, two Grand Slammers off the same pitcher was Rudy York in 1946. They had Tex Shirley pitching, and uh, he stayed in. So he, uh, Rudy York had a grand slam in the second inning and uh-huh. the fifth inning, and I'm guessing that Tex Shirley didn't last the sixth inning. <laughs> <laughs> Probably not, but uh, the, all true. the others faced different pitchers on the That's true. Round. So, I mean, you, you, you give up a grand slam home run. You've got three people on base, and uh, then you, you throw a pitch to a guy who could knock it out of the ballpark, you probably shouldn't have been on the back to begin with, on the mound. I tell you. You know? Our Patricia really knows her stuff. Well, yeah, but I mean, think about it. It's true. If, if you put a guy on every base, 
And you, you're facing somebody who must have had some kind of a history if he can hit two grand slams in the same game. Mm-hmm. Must have had a batting history. Mm-hmm. You know? Yeah, true. That's, that's, the one, that's the one you should risk walking a run in. There you go. Uh, you know, they did that on some players. Babe, Babe Ruth, Barry Bonds, some of the ones they did actually walk mm-hmm. in. Sure. I, you, on purpose. You, of, of course. Yeah. Walk the guy and you surrender a run. Yeah. I mean, the, the team gets a run. You give, It's a gimme. You right. give them a run. You pitch to the guy and you gave him four runs. Right. I know it's a hard call, and it's so easy to do it after the fact, but, gee, Willikers, four runs on a single swing. Oh. Oh. <laughs> um, those are the times you just want to go back to the locker room and say, does anybody have a bottle for me, please? <laughs> Wowzers. Okay. All right. What else? What else would you like? I got stuff. All right. Let's stuff it through. All right. Let's see. Um, I still need to know. And I'm, I'm searching for it. It must be something that I wrote down as opposed to typed out. I'll have to dig through my handwritten notes. But somebody wanted the show Aliens in the Mind. And it might have been Ron. Do you remember who asked about it? Was it a shad kind of thing? It might have been. Mm-hmm. It, it probably was. It sounds like a shad kind of request. Yeah, it does. <laughs> he's got some of the most esoteric stuff uh, for me to look for. Uh-huh. But anyway, I I was really pleased. I came across six shows, and I I got the impression that you know that's a gold mine. That uh, there probably aren't more than six available. Yep. So I found all six. I don't know what the sound quality is. I haven't retrieved them. I just know where they are now. So okay, you know, I didn't tell my gas station story, did I? I told you. I told us, we told the audience during the week, but we haven't told the family on Saturday. We didn't tell, tell our, our Saturday family. Uh-uh. That Patricia uh, is very, very observant where she goes to get gas from. Yeah, well, she is. I mean, she was just so cool. Yeah, she's awesome. Yeah. Yeah. And when I was driving, I had to save receipts, you know, for meals and gas and stuff like that. And... I had been forgetting, as a matter of fact, I forgot all the way to get receipts for the gas I bought. So, you know, there's no reimbursement if you don't have a receipt. And I put $20 of gas in the in the car. I stopped at Waffle House. I found one that knew how to make grits. <laughs> and there's a gas station next door, and I pulled in. I got $20 worth of gas, and I took off. And I'm about a block up the road just at the intersection where I have to turn on the interstate. And I was like, oh, crumb, I forgot my my receipt. So I looked around. There's no other car in the area. So when the light turned green, I made a Yui and went back to the gas station. And I went in, and I said, you know, I was just here, and I got $20. Uh, could I have a receipt? Are you able to do that? He's so sure. What, what pump were you on? I said, number six. He said, here you go. And it's a receipt for $100. I don't think so. <laughs> I didn't. I didn't get a hundred dollars. I got twenty dollars. And he said maybe it was a different pump. Hold on. So he went through all the receipts for his pumps. He could not find a twenty dollar. He said, "Oh, that's no problem here." And he gave me a receipt for twenty dollars. And I walked out the door and I went to get in the car and I looked over and I was in the wrong gas station. There were two of them side by side, <laughs> and I had bought gas in the other station. Did you start to laugh then? 
Oh, I was so embarrassed. I mean, what was I going to do? Go back in and say, here's your receipt back? (laughs) 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 Well, I bought $20 worth of gas, and I have a receipt for $20 worth of gas. So I put it in my pocket and drove off. But, I mean, and he was so sweet. He was so accommodating. I said, well, it's okay. I can help. (laughs) He gave me my receipt for $20, and it wasn't even his I thought it was nice of him to offer one for a hundred. I just, I don't think so. It's not what I spent. Well, anyway, that's my gas station story. Only our Patricia would have something like that. I know it. I know yeah. it. Yeah. Okay. Okay. Here, here we go. Here we go. Tom turkeys. You know, like like turkey, turkey. Yeah. A, a tom is a guy and a hen is a girl. A tom is a guy and a hen is a girl. Yeah. So when they get together, is it Tommy Henny? Tommy and Henny, right? Oh, okay. All right. So Tom turkeys. You know how how we say, oh, a turkey gobble 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 yep, gobble. Yep, 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 yep. Only the Tom turkeys. Only the male turkeys gobble. The hen turkeys click. Ah, so he com- he said come over here and he gets a yeah 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 yeah. Is that what that all means? I guess she says. Come here, honey. <laughs> and he says, gobble, gobble, gobble. Uh-huh. That's probably happened. And then we have little turkeys. Little turkeys. Is this good? Oh, I read an article today. Mm-hmm. There are wild turkeys on, I believe it's Staten Island. It's not Long Island. It's Staten <laughs> Island. We have to hear from Lucy one night. Oh, yeah. Um, Wild turkeys have started procreating on Staten Island. There are more than 100. They think there might be as many as 200. And they're in people's yards. (laughs) They walk out in the street. They're walking up to people and pinching them. They don't know what to do with them. They can't shoot them. And they're protected. And they don't, you know, capturing them. But they think somebody, a couple of, about two years ago, let loose seven wild turkeys that he didn't want anymore, apparently raised them as chicks, and when they, I mean, they can be pretty feisty, they're not, they're, they're not pleasant critters to have around, and they're normally afraid of people, they don't go anywhere near people, you really have to sit quietly and wait for one of these things to come out of the woods if you want to see one, but these guys are all over the place, so they've got wild turkeys all over Staten Island, I, I oh, guess. Wow. Not all over. Oh, wow. In this one community area. And they don't know what to do with them. A flock of 200 is invading New York. I mean, can you imagine? I mean, this is like New York City area we're talking about. This is not the Catskill Mountains. They hit, oh. the, they hit their version of the birds. Oh, it does. And, you know, somebody said that. Yeah. You know, it's like a turkey version of...
once in a while you hear about a community having a problem with blackbirds. Mm-hmm. You know, the, the trees are just covered with blackbirds. Right. But turkeys? I don't know. If I, if I had to deal with one, I don't know which I would choose. I'd probably pack my bags. Okay. Okay. Until there was a pay raise in 1814, U.S. congressmen were paid $6 per diem, $6 a day, when Congress was in session. I'm all, I'm all in favor of go back to those prices. Well, I am, too. <laughs> I don't think we're going to get there. <laughs> oh, wow. I told you about um, Porter Goss when he went to Congress. Uh-huh. He said they didn't earn a raise, and he wasn't going to take one, but they told him he had to. So he set up a foundation and said, okay, every, everything over the salary that I was at when I walked through this door, mm-hmm. everything over that forevermore goes into this foundation. And it, it, it foundation in his hometown area. Yeah, yeah. yeah. And, uh, you know, it, it, it was just such a wonderful thing. And, and his, his position, he had no qualms about saying it. Congress hasn't earned a raise, and they should, they should be ashamed of taking one. How about that? All you have that. a couple of him sprinkled around. All for that. That should be good. Yeah, I love that guy. He was good. temporarily, good. for a while, he was head of our CIA. Ah. Ah, uh, yeah. He was an old CIA guy. Wow. Okay. Wow. All right. Do you remember we were talking about Ichabod Crane? I sure do. Okay. Well, just by happenstance, I came across a piece of information today. His poor broken-down horse, who was partially blind, mm-hmm. the, the one that Ichabod Crane Road. rode in yeah. Legend of Sleepy Hollow, yep. had a name. Do you know what the horse, do you, do you remember the legend? I remember the legend, I just don't remember the horse's name. Neither did I, and I loved that story. The name was Gunpowder. Can you imagine? Oh. The horse half-blind, wow. kind of schlepping wow. along with a sway back. Wow. The name was Gunpowder. Wow. Good old Washington Irving. Oh, yeah. Okay. The average American diet. I don't know how... I would have to identify what an average American is, but the average American diet today consists of 55% junk food. That makes sense to me. qualifies as junk food? I mean, I think they throw stuff like pizza in there. Oh, yeah. Pizza can be a very nutritious meal. Yeah, I, I think I think it depends on what they probably go by some nutritionist mm-hmm. standards on that. You know, they probably consider peanut butter and Joey sandwiches junk food. Oh no, peanut butter is a good food. You know, now I, that, I w- that well, I, some people argue it's a lot of fat in peanut butter. There is a lot of fat in peanut. So they say fat food. However, it is not trans. Am I saying trans trans, trans fat, fat. Trans, it is trans fat? Yeah, it's it's good fat. It's not bad fat. Um, you know they would classify chocolate as junk food. I would think so. Make good for your heart. And potato chips. Good but for your heart. That's definitely a junky foody thing. Yeah, but, but you know they said there's more salt in cer- some of the cereals now than it is in, pe- in the potato shop. Gosh, there is so much salt and sugar in cereal. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, um, the Incas, the Incan soldiers. Inc- you know the Incan Indians. It don't the Inca dudes. The Inca dudes, yes. Yeah. The Inca Indians, the yeah. soldiers. Now this is like centuries ago. Mm-hmm. Invented the process of freeze drying food. 
Oh, wow. Isn't that amazing? The process was primitive but effective. They left potatoes outside to freeze overnight, then thawed and stomped on them to remove excess water. Well, at least they had the principle figured out. I don't know about eating food that was stomped on. Well, they, were dry, they, they used uh, clean shoes. Ew. I don't know. Oh. You know, could, would, you, would you pass the potatoes? I don't think so. Crunch, crunch, crunch. You know, Dad, I saw Dad out in the front yard. Something <laughs> <laughs> on my food. I don't think so. <laughs> okay. This one is cute. And I would have thought it was that, that the number was higher, but it says 10% of American households leave milk and cookies for Santa Claus. Oh, no. Only 10%? Well, then I started thinking about it. You know what I, I think? What? Mom and Dad already wiped it out before they left it out for Santa. Well, it, it started out for Santa, so yes. that counts. Oh, okay. So what do you think? Uh, well, then I thought they might leave a cookie for Santa, but they probably leave carrots or something like that for the reindeer. Or they just forgot to bring the milk out. Or something like that there. Uh-huh. Yeah. Yeah. I thought, you know, maybe 10%. I, I wonder, well, it doesn't make any difference. I, I, I can't answer it. You know, I wonder, honestly, where did the tradition of cookies and milk come from? Well, I don't know. Yeah. Cookies and milk. Cookies and milk taste so good. And they're good for you. They're not junk food. Cookies aren't? Well, not if you break them and leak the calories. Yeah, well, that's why you have milk. That way you can dunk them. Oh, but then the calories fall in the milk. But just think of all the nutritional value of the milk going into cookies can make you stronger, wiser, happier, and wise. <laughs> okay, <laughs> I'll do that. <laughs> I can deal with that. Okay, I should have saved these for Christmas. I've got some. This really, this stuff really belongs to the holidays. Well, I think we're getting close to that part of the season. Okay, well, then I'll... I'll can you imagine? We're almost there. I know. Yeah. No, scary. Another whole year. Oh, I know. I've been bothering you for an entire year on, uh, actually more than a year. I have been your father over here. Okay. Sporting goods. The national. You've been with me for almost two years, solid. That's right. And they say it wouldn't well, last. Well, yeah, all of 2010, yeah. all of 2011. Yeah. And a nip of 2009. Yeah. You've been, we've been together for two years. Oh. What's the song? Maybe we're ragged and funny, but we travel along. Ain't got a barrel of money. money. Side by side. Ma that's it. That's yeah, yeah. Maybe we're ragged and funny. funny. But we travel oh, along. Sing a song side by side. That's it. That's us. On August 18th, 1982, what happened? Hmm. I mean, a lot of things happen. People will yeah. also say, I was born. And there probably are people that were born. Billions and billions. Do 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 do
did we start the recovery of the economic recession at that time? No, but that's a good answer. Yeah. This is something in your field, your field of expertise. In e economics? Uh-uh. Baseball. Baseball? Oh. Uh, Bob Horner joined the Atlanta Braves and hit a home run. <laughs> what? <laughs> You're a piece of work. It's the longest baseball game in history. Well, it says the longest. You know, some of these are worded uh, very squirrely. It was at Chicago's Wrigley Field, mm -hmm. and it went 22 innings before the Los Angeles Dodgers defeated the Cubs, but they had to play it over a period of two days. I remember that game. Yeah, I was watching through that game. Well, it after 17 innings, they called it because of darkness. Right, because they didn't have white in the stadium. Yeah, so, it was, so uh, 22 innings is not the longest in history. 25 innings is. Right, I think 25, or I think it, there might be 26 or something. Uh, 25, yeah. so they must be saying the longest game played at Chicago's Wrigley Field. Or the longest game played over two days. Maybe. Yeah. It just says, the <coughs> excuse me, the longest baseball game played at Chicago's Wrigley Field. That might be it. This is where punctuation marks are so important. Oh. I oh, mean, it's true. It's only, no only, only, only Patricia would know that. Ah, but there's no punctuation here. So it hmm. says, literally, the longest baseball game played at Chicago's Wrigley Field. If there were some commas in there, it would read, the longest baseball game, comma, played at Wrigley's Field, comma, went 22 innings. And that would mean that the longest baseball game ever just happened to play at Wrigley's Field. Oh, you're smart. Well. No wonder we've been together. Yeah, well. Your brain can work. Your brain can work will go really far. Yeah, anytime you need a comma, just ask me. I've got a bundle. You got a bundle of them. <laughs> I've got a load of them. <laughs> <laughs> okay. See, look at all of this baseball. Mm -hmm. Ruth. Babe Ruth was one of only two people to ever hit three home runs in a World Series game. Yes. A game. Yes. And is the only one to have done it twice. Yeah, okay. I didn't know you did it twice. Uh-huh. 1926 and 1928, it says. Does uh, that sound right? That sounds right. Okay. Who is the other person? Reggie. Reggie. Reggie Jackson. Reggie Jackson. 1977. He was a piece of work. Game six. Get the Los Angeles Dodgers. Help close it off. In New York. Uh, hit it off of, uh, uh, the knuckleballer Ralph Hooten. And Leah Sosa, and I forget the other picture. Ralph Huff. Anyway, Reggie Jackson. Reggie. Yeah. Reggie. Yeah. Good stuff. You know, they have films of high points, excuse me, or, or individual players, really significant players. Uh huh. You see Joe DiMaggio taking swings and Mickey Mantle. Oh, yeah. Things. And every once in a while, you'll see film clips of Reggie Jackson. Yeah. And he is such a hoot, or was. Yeah. He would connect with the ball, and he knew where it was going. He just knew. And oh, he'd yeah. kind of take a little hop off the bag. Right. And he'd watch it go over, 
and as soon as it went over the fence or into the stands or wherever it was going and he knew it was safe, <laughs> then he would hop along and, and take off around the bases. You but bet. he used to give this little skip off home plate. And it was so cute to watch. Really like that. Okay, here's here's Ahani. And I don't expect anybody to know this, so I'll tell you. Elias Howe. Good old Elias Howe. Yeah. Just a minute. Elias, yeah. Don't go away. All right. Um, who invented the zipper? And it's six after one here on the West Coast. We're getting close to the taking the time for the West Coast. Oh, it's going to change, isn't it? Yeah, in 54 minutes. Oh. That way we can go back another hour. And another hour. And another hour. Yeah. Okay. Now, here's here is something that I think is happenstance and appropriate, and I'm... I took it to the nth degree. Hello there, yeah. you're on the air. We lost. We lost. You lost? What happened? Hello? He lost. He hung and, up. And, and hung up? He's heartbroken. Who is that, Ron? That was Ron. What, what, who, who lost what? His Hawaii football team. Lost to whom? I don't, Utah State. You know, I'm just rolling over in S-words tonight. <laughs> that, you know, maybe we'll just get it all out. It's the beginning of November. We we can have peace for the rest of the year. Oh. Hello there, you on here? We got cut off. I know, we thought you abandoned us. No, I, I'm not that rude. I'm, I'm rude, but not that rude. <laughs> <laughs> I, th I, was talking, I was talking to myself. And I said, how come I'm talking to myself? You just said, we lost, and you it, disappeared. No, we got cut off. We lost. Uh, it, was, it, was the, uh, it was the Utah State football uh, clipping the phone lines. Well, yeah, they, they bumped me off. Yeah, I know it. They knocked we off your team? 28-7. to 7. They were leading 31-20. to 20. Then Utah State caught up. Then we were leading 31-28. to 28. Then Utah State, in 14 seconds, made a touchdown with 14 seconds left, and we lost 35 to 31. You know, Ron, I know the solution. You should call the university on Monday and tell them that you're withdrawing your donation because <laughs> they can't get a winning football team on the field. You know what? I, I got a better idea. Okay. I'm going to tell them. And I have a friend named Walden. Uh-huh. <laughs> and Walden and I want to take over the team. You, you'll you be the offensive coach. Oh, I like this. You'll be defense. I'll be the defensive coach. And we'll have Patricia be the head coach. And we, yeah, right. And we'll let Patricia be the head coach. She'll be perfect as the smoke person of the football team. She can <laughs> handle the media. Sure. I'd, I'd be out there saying, now, now, you guys just don't stand so close together. It won't <laughs> That would make headline. But uh, female head coach with two blind offensive defensive coordinators. You Perfect. <laughs> I think we would get press headline. <laughs> What's that? Can't you see home plate? 
Because it's not. Right. <laughs> <laughs> now, now you guys go out and touch the bases. <laughs> yeah, right. As you make that, as you head for the touch, I'll make you, you touch every base as you go along. <laughs> oh, that'd be funny. Don't miss the hoop. Yep. Yep. Oh, well, Ron, it sounds like that was in the category of a barn burner. It was. Hey, listen, um, the guy said your friend, um, who, who's this uh, uh, guy that sells radio? Well, we talked about him. Your friend that sells radio shows. Um, Jerry Hindegas? Yeah. Uh-huh. He, he, uh, he has uh, something that you don't see on many catalogs. Some kind of playhouse or whatever. Yeah, um, playhouse, uh, playhouse something, yeah. yeah. What network was it? I never heard of that. Though. I haven't either, but Kurt went over to Jerry's site, otrsite.com. What's, um, what's really exciting, and I know Patricia will love this, um, I got, Larry was telling me this via email, he got an email from Jerry, one of them I brought was a bunch of, uh, Jeff Regan, and Jerry went through them, and most of them are uncirculated, they've never been <gasps> out before. Wait, wait, stop. Almost 50 to 60 uncirculated Jeff Regan radio shows. Ooh, where did he get it from? I, uh, Frank Bush, he had it. Oh. So, I give those Jerry, and we start dubbing those. Oh. Oh. Yeah. Yeah. Oh. Yeah. Oh, remember me, for they know not what they do. <laughs> <laughs> Listen, I just, well, now that we talked to uh, Reverend um, Patricia here. I know. Gee. I know. A football coach, she became a minister. Uh, she, she, <laughs> she, she, you know, she says her prayer before she sends her team out there. Sure. Let's, we're gonna. It's unbelievable. Yeah. If we're gonna throw Hail, Ron. If we're gonna throw Hail Marys out there, you need a minister. That's out there. right. She says. She says. She only has to call her eyes to watch her defensive and offensive corner draw the plays out there. The quarterback must be Catholic. He's throwing all these Hail Mary passes. That's true. <laughs> Perfect. <laughs> oh my gosh. Did um, Patricia? Did you move your clock up or back? I mean. Yeah, well, my computer did it did it automatically. I'm going to have to change my bedside clock here. Yeah, see, it's already one hour before. You know, and I think she'll be able to sleep in today. Yeah, you can sleep for one hour longer. Yeah, she, she'll be able to sleep oh, in. Oh, yeah, because the library doesn't open until 1. I know. Get I get an extra hour in there. This is great. Hey, hey, hey. I wonder how many, how many um, Jeff Regan did... Um, well, this one guy, well, let's see, was it Jack Webb played it first? Right. Did he do the majority of the Jeff Regan? I don't know how many what the actual breakdown is. I don't know. Yeah, because the other guy did it for a while. Yeah. And he wasn't very good. Oh, but he died, though. Mm -hmm. He was probably very good. I was just spoiled by Jack Webb. Yeah. Yeah, you're right. And the detective, I mean, the Jeff Regan's boss. Mm-hmm. Boy, was he, a, was he a money... The lion. The lion's eye, right? Wasn't that it? J. Lion. Yeah. He, might, he really must have been a money grabber, boy, you know? Yeah, he was. He was. Well, and UCLA squeaked out a victory. Yeah. 29 to 28. How about that? Jeez. Uh, good grief. I guess they wanted to make sure that coach didn't lose his job. At I guess so. At the end of the year. Yep. $400,000 job, you ain't going to have anymore. Now, what's your prediction 
for Stanford against Oregon. You. I am polling for Stanford. Me too. But I think Oregon is the better team. Yeah, I have the same kind of feeling. Yeah. I hope, I hope Stanford can, I mean Stanford can pull it out, you know. That's right, because their mascot is a tree. Yeah, right. Well, anyway, I, I just I cry on your... I know. I can't cry in your beer because you know. don't drink it. I know. <laughs> I know. You can I cry in my beer. I'll cry in your cherry diet. Look, yeah, look for a diet cherry coke or, or hey, how about coconut pineapple ice cream? Oh, boy. You know, I told you I'm going to go to dessert fantasy. And I hope I hope you got something like that. Coconut pineapple ice cream. Yeah, I think that and some... They should have some... Have anybody ever put out chocolate uh, pineapple? You know, you know, like chocolate around pineapple bits. Yeah, some chocolate-covered pineapple. Yeah. You know, on every cruise, they mm -hmm. have what they call a chocolate-holic buffet. <laughs> everything is chocolate-coated. Strawberries, everything. And it's at nighttime, late nighttime, you know. Mm -hmm. And all, all the chocolate-holic people would come and, and, and have this buffet with... Everything was chocolate coated. Who oh, you would have loved that wall then? I know. I think I think I couldn't get Patricia away from the table. You would have been in heaven because yeah, uh, you know. Yep. And it yep. was really good stuff. I mean, everything was chocolate coated, and I was impressed how they coated different certain things. They dunk them. Yeah. Well, anyway, it was really good. Patricia, have you um, have you had time to find any? new on old-time radio, or you're too busy with your work, I guess, huh? Oh, I haven't been able to. I did take a couple of tours uh, in different places over the last two days, but I, in not very much time, and I haven't found anything new that looks interesting anyway. Did I'll you find something. Did you bring some, uh, uh, were you able to listen to some stuff on your computer while you were doing your work, or? No. No? Uh-huh. No. You're too busy. Making money out uh, doing um, Walden show. Yeah, she's just basically making money. Yeah. Yeah. That sounds like my Patricia. There you go. Yeah. So Merry Christmas. I don't think so. Oh. <laughs> Poor we'll, thing. We'll talk to you on Monday. And anyway, yes, I, I like what um, our friend said about he he. I thought that was very kind. Whatever Patricia had for him, he was going to donate to um, the auction. But what I what I was impressed with, he. Uh-oh. We lost him again. Ron, are you on, a, are you on a cell phone or something? I do think so. Or just hang up and have him call back. He was saying something really good about us, and we wanted to find out what it was all about. <laughs> right. <laughs> <laughs> Not the time to break up. Not the time to break up. <laughs> Too much fun. Okay. I started to tell you about the zipper. The guy who invented the sewing machine also invented the zipper. Hey! Now, isn't that cool? You know, he made a few dollars on those two ideas alone. He probably did. Uh, I don't know, you know, but poor guy. When, when, when was the zipper invented? 1851. Pretty nice. 1851. I don't think he probably made an awful lot of money from it. But anyway, he got a patent in 1851. Wow. And it was not called a zipper. What was it called? It was called... 
it should have been called a zipper. It was called an automatic continuous clothing closure. Oh, perfect. I think the zipper rings down history way in a lot further. I, I think so. The zipper. Got, yeah, it got improved all along the way. Um, a clasp locker was invented by another person. Um, somebody launched at the Universal Fastener Company. Ah. Let's see, what else have we got here? Position of head designer. And then it turned into uh, somebody else made an improved version, and it was called the Judson Security Fastener. Mm -hmm. um, but he died. <laughs> oh, dear. Oh. oh, dear me. That's terrible. Okay, and then we wound up with the scrapless machine, Y cut. Okay, and then in 1917, it looks like we wound up with something that looks closer to the zipper that we wow. have today. But anyway, I thought that was pretty cool. Elias Howe, who made the sewing machine later. Nice. That's good. I like yeah. that. Yeah. 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 So, have we lost Ron permanently now? Uh, uh, maybe he's looking for an outlet for his cell phone. Or else maybe the CIA is blocking his call. I went to charge my cell phone yesterday, and I, I swear, or swore, that I... You swore at your cell phone? I, no, I swore I put the charger in my suitcase, but apparently I took it out for something, and it never got back in. Uh-oh. <laughs> so, oh, where, oh, where my little charger go? Oh, where, oh, where could it be? Well, it's not here with me. So, would you like to dig out? I sent you two emails. Yes. And I have them both, whatever you want to do. You have them both. Okay, let, let me... Why did I do that? I have no idea. Because you're adorable, that's why. What I had, and it has to do with our first show. That's what it is. Okay, I got it. All right. All right. Um, I pulled up a calendar, a 1940 calendar, because what I looked at looked a little screwy to me. Well, let's see what we got here. Okay, there's today's folder and the Blue Beetle. I picked the Blue Beetle for a bad show tonight. Yeah. And it took a little bit of doing to find one that was audible enough to not make it distracting. Uh -huh. so, you know, this is at least passable, but the, the um, shows, the Blue Beetle shows that I have, almost all of them have really very poor sound quality, and it's, it's kind of a shame because it's not a great show, but it's fun to listen to. Right. One of those deals. Right. Well, the Blue Beetle, I did not know this. Frank Lovejoy played the Blue Beetle for the first 13 shows. One of Patricia's all-time favorite actors. I, but I didn't know that. I didn't know it either. That, that meant I had to go back and find an early show and listen. <laughs> and it was it was Frank Lovejoy. Oh it, didn't, it, it wasn't harshly Frank Lovejoy. You know, he had such a distinctive voice, and he, he talked a little bit through his nose. Um, <laughs> well, he did. You know, he had kind of this sinus type <laughs> He did. If you listen to him now, I've wrecked his voice for you, too. <laughs> we'll, we'll, we'll take care of that. <laughs> Just stick with me. I'll take care of everything you would ever want to listen to again. So, but anyway, the Blue Beetle. The Blue Beetle 
is not particularly well known because it was only on for four months and it was not a particularly good show because it was like a Green Hornet knockoff. The Blue Beetle and the Green Hornet. <laughs> I mean, um, it's like Planet Man and what was what was the good one? Chicken Man? Well, it wasn't Flash Gordon. What, what was Buck Rogers? The knockoff of, of what? Buck Rogers? Maybe, maybe, maybe was He's got an alter ego like Superman, and he's even like Boston Blackie because he's identified as friend of the unfortunate enemy of criminals. How close to Boston Blackie can you get? That's true. And it's got bad guys and fair ladies just like Hopalong Cassidy. Ah, they were the trendsetter of everything. Yeah, you you don't rip off something. And you can't be accused of ripping off anything if you use just 15% of a thousand characters, <laughs> you know. So anyway, it's it's um, kind of an interest. Anyway, he's a crime fighter. He gets dressed up like a blue beetle. And he's actually a rookie patrolman in disguise. Uh, he didn't even grow up to be a real publisher yet. So he, he was... It, it, it was on only um, from May to September in 1940, and this this one is from June, so it's, it's kind of smack in the middle there. Um, but I didn't know this. There was a series of comic books, Blue Beetle comic books, that survived for a very long time. It went for probably a couple of decades before it petered out. So he was much better known in the comics than he was on old-time radio. But anyway, um, June 26, 1940, is the Blue Beetle this time. And what what did we give him? Um, we gave him what? The title. I'm looking for the title. Oh, Rounding Up the Payroll Bandits. Isn't this adorable? Mm-hmm. Rounding Up the Payroll Bandits. And... Um, it's pretty awful. <laughs> this is my really awful show. From June 26, 1940, it's the Blue Beetle. Walden's going to put it on, and we will be back in about 27 minutes. Enter. Mail attachment. Always ask. Cancel. But open button. Enter. Attachments. List view. Blue Beetle 4006262525 and 26. Rounding up the payroll. B. Dot, 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 MP3 5.77 MB. One of one. Windows Media Player. Default view. Here it comes, everybody.
Well, here snack, crackle, and pop. I'm hearing quick, 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 quick. Let's see what I've got, because I've played it. Let's see here. Okay, quick, quick, quick. It's, it, well, it's kind of like the needle stuck. I'll keep rolling it for a while. Now here, here it come. Ooh, sounds terrible. Oh dear. And mine sounds really good. What did I send to you? I'm gonna get out of this one more. Alt F4, attachments, list view, blue beetle 40, menu, news close. New sub menu, save as dot 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 escape menu bar file. Alt tab, leaving menu bar, list view, outlook express message uh, list, yeah. attachment Florida writer 11 slash 5 slash 2011 okay. 6 enter. I really like this show. From Florida writer like they are underwater. Tab, from tab, date, tab, to read tab, subject tab, attach enter. Mail attach, open button, enter, attachments, list view, blue beetle 4006262625 and 26 rounding up the payroll b dot 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 mp3 5.77 mb, one of one, windows media player, default view. I see, I see, I'm in windows media player. We're getting there. If not, Patricia, resend it to me. Okay, play Sibber in the meantime? We can do that, or if you want to resend that, it'll probably get here way really quick. Up to you. Okay. Should we go ahead and play Fibber now, or should we just... Why don't you send that one to me right now? Okay. And we'll see if we can play that file. Okay. I will reattach. I'll make a brand new one. All right. I'm going to get out of this one. As Walden says, there's nothing like live radio. Hooray for Hollywood! Uh, Windows Media Player. There we go. It takes a minute to upload. So anyway, what you gonna do tomorrow? Alt F4, attachments, list view. I gotta turn on my microphone. Let me bring my microphone back over here to the computer. Um, I don't know. I, I think I'll do a radio show. That's what I got planned. That's good. Okay, it should be arriving Alt in F4, about... List view, Outlook, Unread, Mike, no. Unread, Casey Lizard, Unread, Don Paris, Unread, High Important, Unread, you know, Facebook, you Unread, Facebook. Instantly, it's on your computer. Control M, 0%. Outlook Express Dialogue, connecting to pop.at.yahoo.com, dot 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 authorizing, dot dot dot, hide button, 9%. Something coming. 36%. It's coming. Oh. Waiting for it to come down. It's like birthing a baby. 62%. Coming down on a wing and a prayer. 88%. Coming down. 
list view, Outlook Express message list, Facebook wall, unread, attachment, Florida writer 11 slash enter. From blank tab from tab date tab to retab subject tab attachment enter mail attack open button enter attachments list view blue beetle four zero zero six two six twenty five and twenty six rounding up the payroll b dot 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 mp three five point seven seven mb one of one windows media player default view. Off the rack that you love. Well, let me just try the Fibber show that we you sent overseas. That works. Alt F4. Alt F4. Alt Tab. No subject. Attach. Alt F4. I will talk about the Fibber show in case it comes up. Yeah. Alt Tab. Oh, List view. Outlook Express. Fibber. Facebook wallet. Unread. Face unread. Well, unread. Don. Unread. Casey was unread. Mike Casey. Attachment floor. The writer 11 slash 5 slash 20 11 6 32 p.m. Attachment floor, the writer, Fibber show, 11 slander. From um, to hear about January, it. In January, they would go through June. And after that, they would uh, come back in the fall and go to the 15-minute show. But they are still so hot in this. Uh, they, they were just so together in their shows. Fibber is writing a book. The name of it is Fibber Writes a Book. And he's calling it Fibber Tells All. Fibber McGee Tells All. It sounds a whole lot like the National Enquirer with lots of questions, lots of implying, but not a whole lot of substance. And he's getting the lowdown about everybody from everybody all over town. So he's, he says he's writing a septic. Not an epic, but a septic. So this is the literary master of Wistful Vista, and Walden is pulling it up. How did you do? Well, I said the boo be Tab from read tab date read only tab to read only tab subject tab attach enter mail attached open button enter default view. Windows Media Player. cooperating uh-uh. and if fibber doesn't work then maybe it's not the, the shows huh it could be my machine yeah well we could do why don't we hmm? why don't we do this why don't I do a reboot and uh, my computer been on for a while let me do a reboot Patricia and see if that will trigger it so hold on. Sure. Start menu. Turn off enter. Leaving menus. Start button. Turn off restart button. Enter. Holding on is good. I, I do holding on very well. <laughs> okay. What have I got here? Oh, you know, I've been walking around with Howard Duff and Kate Smith information for weeks. I mean, weeks and weeks and weeks. Which would you like to hear about? Windows Media Kate Player. V main. Go with Howard Duff first. Howard Duff. Well, I've got too much information on him. So I'll just kind of go pick and choose along here. Um, he was born in 1913 and died in 1990. So that would have made him 77. 
that sound right? Yeah, 77. Um, and died of a heart attack. And his name really was Howard Duff. It was Howard Green Duff. Right. Um, this is good. Howard Green Duff found an outlet in acting school. Following graduation, he studied drama. Um, let's see. He was born in Bremerton around say Hey, he played basketball. How about that? He was a basketball player. Military service. He interrupted. He was in the Air Force. Wow, four years in the Air Force. 1941 to 1945. And he won the role of Sam Spade in uh, 1941. No, it must have been 1945. 1946. 46? Uh-huh. Well, wouldn't you think they'd put some dates in here? He got back from the service in 1945, so 1946 uh-huh. would have started, of course, Sam Spade. He married Ida Lupino. Yep. And he had a daughter, Bridget. So I should put Bridget on our hunt down list, right? Hunt down, yeah. She was, she was born in 1952, so she would surely still be with us. Right. Um, didn't last. It, it, and it's, it's really kind of sad because they were married for 15 years. And uh, they didn't officially divorce until 1984. How about that? Oh, really? They're not, that was, okay, wow. Yeah, so that was 33 years. Yeah. That's a lot of time. Married a non-professional, Judy Jenkinson, who survived him after 1990. Um, oh, this is this is it. Okay, he got nailed because of um, Dashiell Hammett. Right. After 13 weeks on ABC Radio, the show moved to CBS, and it was very popular. It was a Sunday night smash for three years. It switched over to NBC at the beginning of the 1949-1950 season. Dashiell Hammett became, and Dashiell Hammett was the creator and writer, or the creator. I guess he didn't do any writing for radio, did he? Yeah. You lost Walden again. No, no, I'm listening to you. Pardon? I'm listening to you. I'm just rebooting the computer. Oh, oh, Dashiell Hammett. Um, he, he didn't do any Jaws for radio Windows writing, is ready. but Sam Spade was based on an ongoing character. Start men escape, leaving the app. Toolbar Appleander Space. A target of the House Committee Appleian on Director American Dialogue. Activities. Um, HS28 Links. Appleian Director. Links list replay video, replay music, replay app, enter, replay app, same page link graphic, replay app, page has 28 links, Appleian Director, table Windows M, I, escape, leaving men Windows M, I, desktop, folder view, list view, Internet Explorer, enter. by these people as communists, but they were... Windows Internet Explorer, um, Internet Explorer dialogue, go to home, enter, Windows Internet Explorer, connecting dot dot dot, HTTP slash slash www.yesterdayusa.com slash news app page, updates are ready for your computer, click here to install these updates, page has 4 frames, 6 headings and 55 with program sub O, leaving menus, start button, was on the, on the red channels. Outlook really Express Address Book List work. List View. Um, Outlook Attachment Floor Enter. Page has no blank. Tab from tab date root tab to read app subject tab attachment. Mail attached open button. Who took over from him? But you know how do you, yeah. how do you follow Sam Spade? You know. Right. I'm ready to give it another try. Okay. There's the blue He's beetle. Done. Wait, there's the blue beetle. Everybody. 
Enter attachments. Are we going to do it? Beetle 4006262525 and 26 rounding up the payroll. B.MP35.77 MD. One of one. Windows Media Player. Default view. Windows Media Player.
we're back after we found a good place for my little show. And my buddy, the one and only, the adorable, ever talented, <laughs> ever working so hard, who doesn't really know if it's really four or five in the morning, but she's still here, Patricia. Hello there. Say moi. Ha ha. Say moi. Say what? What? It is I. It's you. It's me. It's me. Hi, me. Say moi. Well, that was the Blue Beetle. Now, I got something to talk to you about scheduling. Oh, right. Now, I saw the dates on these shows, and I thought, this cannot be right. So, I went to Jerry's site. Uh-huh. And I said, this cannot be right. But it has to be, because all of these dates match, and Jerry is pretty reliable. Pretty reliable, yeah. Yeah. So, the best I can figure, because... The dates are every Wednesday and every Friday. They're not Monday, Wednesday, Friday. Mm -hmm. They're not five days a week. They're Monday, uh, I'm sorry, Wednesday and Friday for the duration, for the four months that the show was running. And both segments of each episode played on the same day. So they had two 13-minute segments, you know, each each episode broken into two pieces. Okay. Each piece was 13 minutes, so an entire show was actually 26 minutes. Right. But it was broken up into two segments. Now, I don't know if they played them back-to-back or if they played them at different times during the day or if they left it up to the individual stations to play as they saw fit. But those were the dates that were scheduled. It was every Wednesday and every Friday. Now, I don't know what time of the day it was. I haven't found a schedule. But it was just those two days a week, and both halves, both 13-minute episodes and two made up a single show, played on the same day. Now, that's really an unusual schedule. That's an unusual format, no doubt about that. Um, so talk to me. Well, let's just brainstorm see what we can come up with a possible idea while wow, I sneeze. Oh, is it my turn? No, I just sneezed. Oh. I tried to get, kill the mic. Anyway. Bless you. Um, your non, it, it's your non-sneeze. It's my non-allergies. It's your non-sneeze. If you yeah. Have an allergy, you don't have a sneeze either. Ah. Uh, okay. All right. Um, I'm assuming these were on independent station, or was written to the little tag at the end. Mm-hmm. And I'm thinking these are like local independent station. Okay. Um, we're thinking the dates are what, 40? What do we look at the dates 1940, be? yes. Okay. May through September of 1940. Okay. Okay. Um, it would have been a summer replacement? Well, not in May, though. No. But again, it could be, these could be heard on mutual. Uh, that's a possibility. You know, they didn't, they were sort of a loosey-goosey thing. So we probably wasn't heard on NBC, CBS affiliate. Probably an independent station, a local station, or maybe mutual. Okay. Let's talk about the Wednesday-Friday combination first. Um, you had things like the Lone Ranger that ran Monday, Wednesdays, and Fridays. Right. You had the Green Hornet that ran Tuesday, Thursday, Saturday. So you had some interesting combinations of shows, and maybe there were sponsors that bought 
programming heard on Monday, Tuesday, and Thursday. And nobody had a particular slot on Wednesday and Friday at this time. So, for example, let's just say on Monday, uh, Levy Brothers bought the time slot at this certain hour. That's all they bought, you know, mm-hmm. for a 52-week period. Same thing with the Tuesday, Thursday. So, that could have happened. And I'm thinking the other possibility of the 13-minute, these could be syndicated, and they might allow stations to throw in a local commercial in between the two episodes. Yeah, well, that, that clearly had to be the case. Yeah. Did so, they ever stick news bulletins or news short shorts in the center like that, like at a 15-minute mark? I haven't heard about that, but um, CBS, on Tuesday night at 8.55, mm-hmm. went with their, news, their newscast. So all they had to spare was a 25-minute segment on Tuesday night. Well, that's why why the Mel Blanc shows on Tuesday after the war, because CBS still filled the news with the, all 25-minute shows. Mm-hmm. So, generally, I think the news breaks would have been closer to the top of the hour, if possible. Not right smack in the middle. Yeah. But you had these long-play commercials that was almost like an info commercial sometime. Oh, of course they did. Yeah. And so, if somebody wanted to play a five-minute or somebody maybe doing a, a, a song with a, a commercial spot that run five minutes. They could mm-hmm. play something like that, too. Well, every once in a while, I pick up an Aldrich family that has an orchestra piece in the middle. Yeah, and a lot of those are armed forces shows. And so they cut out the commercials, and they, so they fill those in. Yeah. 